Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Do it for the team. The free COVID vaccine is FDA authorized for kids five and up. Do it for your besties and the resties. It's safe for your child and can help protect their friends. Do it for birthdays. And help protect your family. And game night. When you give your child the vax, you give them the power to learn. Do it for field trips. And camp outs. To experience. And big hugs. And to be a kid. Get your child vaccinated and give them the power. Paid for with Pennsylvania taxpayer dollars. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. So call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW. At our fully accredited, world-class treatment center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. This is Denny Somak, host of The Rock Podcast. I'm a producer, author, and rock historian, and I want to share with you some of the greatest stories in rock and roll. Well, Bonzo was the best hard rock drummer ever, hands down. I mean, no one comes within a mile of him. And I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. John Lennon had this wise guy look on his face, just like me and my friends were just a bunch of wise guys, street kids. The first guitar I ever had was um, Spanish guitar, and I couldn't really get the hang of it. I'm was only 13. I had never written a song before, actually, and uh, so Jim says, okay, everybody go home and write some songs, you know, and so I went, went home and wrote Light My Fire. Join me for The Rock Podcast, the only podcast that matters, from Podcast One or wherever you get yours. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny LaRue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the continuation, as I like to think of it, of two Real GM Radio traditions. That is the NCAA tournament preview with Sam Vecini, focusing on the prospects that are most interesting to us. We start with a focus on the players who might not make it to the second weekend, because that's who you should focus on first, including some top five guys, but also some really interesting matchups. But then we also get into some of the NBA stuff. Sam and I are working on a collection of collaborative pieces. So talking about the trade board that we did, talking about the PJ Tucker deal a little bit, and some of our other favorite trade deadline hypotheticals. And then after that, at about the 125 mark, the other continuation, which is the mascot bracket, the incredibly fun exercise that I go through with my biologist sister, where she picks the NCAA tournament based solely on if the mascots got in a fight. And it is a ton of fun. And so that starts about the 125 mark. But first, plenty of great stuff with Sam Vecini of The Athletic. Thanks so much for coming on. Of course. I'm happy to come on and uh, chat about the draft and trade deadline and whatever you want to talk about. 
Yeah, I, I think the place to start, you and I often record these right before the start of the NCAA tournament, is really with the kind of the short focus. You and I did a long pod focusing on the top five, and we'll touch on some of those guys at some point. But where I wanted to start was, inevitably, we're going from, let's call it 64, to 16 teams over the course of this weekend. I'm still getting a little bit weirded out by the timing, but let's call it this weekend. So what are some players that people who are more NBA-focused should make a fo- make a point of watching in the early going because they might not make it to the late going. Yeah, so there's a really great first round matchup between Oregon and VCU. Okay. That I'm really excited about because it features two guys that I think have a real shot to like be late first round picks and they're going to like definitely go right against each other, I think. Uh, it's VCU's Bones Highland against Oregon's Chris Duarte. Mm-hmm. Duarte uh, was, I believe, I'm not positive on this. I think he won third team All-American honors uh, from the Associated Press. He is a monster shooter. Like the the skill package here is like pretty similar to what Derek White was, even in terms of like the trajectory. Like started at Juco College, worked his way up to Oregon in the Pac-12. Super high level defensive prospect who also can knock down 40, 42%, 43% from three. On the other side is Bones Highland, who is this like six foot three guard, pretty long arms, and just like lightning quick offense, offense, offense creator, good off ball defender, but very skinny, like 170 pounds. Um, like going to take time to fill out his frame, hence the name Bones. He got the nickname because he's so skinny. Um, these two guys are probably going to match up right against each other. They both play kind of as like an off guard for each of their teams. And it's going to be a fascinating one because Duarte is like a little bit bigger. And that has kind of been a problem for Bones in the past. If there's someone that's bigger and can like out quick him or uh, has enough quickness to like stay in front. And then on the other side with Duarte, Duarte has had some issues at times staying in front of like lightning quick guys. So it kind of puts both of them in a really interesting prospect evaluation context, right? We're going to get to see both of these guys go up against each other and really have to show like what they can do. Like that's the one that I'm looking forward to in the first round. It's something small. It's like pretty nerdy, uh, like draft wise. Right. But like, I think both these guys are legit top 40 players in this class and it's pretty rare even in the NCAA tournament in the first round to get like direct, like matchup on matchup top 40 guys going on like against each other like this. Well, and especially in a circumstance and correct me if I'm wrong, where their success is so pivotal to whether the team advances or not. Like this isn't even like, Oh, you know, maybe these are younger guys on loaded teams that are in the third, that are in the thirties for the draft. And they're like, maybe their team's third or fourth best player. And they're getting there. Like these are yep. going to be central to what happens in the game. hundred uh, percent. Both of these guys are really going to play the pivotal role in whether or not their teams win or lose. I think it's going to be a great, just utterly fascinating matchup in terms of guys that could, bounce early could get bounced early i would say you should always watch evan mobley they play wichita and drake or drake in the first round um i don't think either of those two teams can beat usc but i've seen weirder shit happen um the second round though they play kansas so 
Kansas will present some issues for USC potentially. So I would definitely check out Evan Mobley this weekend. I mean, another matchup that we might get this weekend and it's not set yet. So I'm like, you know, a little bit hesitant. I feel like I'm jinxing it if I say that it might happen because I really want it to happen. And these two teams are in 413 and 512 matchups, which we know can be so dangerous. But Tennessee and Oklahoma State are in the same pod, which means we might get Cade Cunningham against Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer. And that would be, I believe, on Sunday in the United States. And that would just be a ridiculous game. Those three, I think, are lottery picks. Yes, that's two top ten, one lottery, right? Like, that's the current. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure many, especially more casual draft Knicks, are hoping that Cade Cunningham will have a longer tournament run there. But Tennessee is a good team, and it could provide a, a useful matchup, let's put it that way, for Keon Johnson and for Cade Cunningham if they get to square off i'm not sure you would know better whether they would guard each other but just in terms of having them both on the floor Uh, it'll be interesting to see what tennessee does with Cade. i would probably think that they'll go keon on Cade to start it wouldn't stun me if you would see some eve pawns on Cade though and eve pawns won the sec defensive player of the year last year and was all defense in the league this year like a borderline draftable prospect. Um, certainly a draftable prospect, borderline top 60 prospect, I would say. Um, really high-level defender, super strong, physical. I would be really interested to see that kind of matchup against Cade because a lot of teams tend to guard Cade with smaller guys. Like Baylor used Davion Mitchell against him, and Davion Mitchell is up for National Defensive Player of the Year, but he's just six foot two, and guys that are that small have just not been able to bother Cade at all this year. Uh, I I would be really interested to see someone bigger who is stronger, who is as strong as Cade is, maybe even stronger, kind of try to present him with some issues uh, in a way that we haven't seen this year. Yeah, that gets into a point that I think is, you know, I've had, I have a bunch of different things you and I have, I think, discussed it offline about like the, the, Use of the term point guard for people who aren't point guard sized. And yes, it is true that navigating screens and some of the other elements, depending on what scheme a team is running, you know, those are things that a guy who's six foot two are more used to doing. But generally speaking to me, if somebody's, you know, Cade's height, you know, that six, seven, six, eight or Ben Simmons, you run into the same problem. You're probably not best off guarding them with the guy who runs the your offense. You're probably best guarding them with somebody who's closer to their size. I think so personally um i understand for instance why baylor decided to use literally the guy who is up for national defensive player of the year on Cade. but i tend to agree with you like i I think that like i would much rather see these bigger physical guys on Cade because it's not like like look Cade is a lot of things and i think he's a little bit more athletic than he gets credit for but like He's not like bursty athletically. He's just very coordinated and balanced, um, kind of similar to what Luka Doncic brings to the table. Like I think Luka's better, but um, like a, a similar deal, I think, to what uh, what the challenges are when going up against Luka, just in terms of strength. So I'm at least I'm interested to see what a Tennessee matchup would look like because Keon Johnson is strong enough. Um, even though he's probably 30 pounds less than Cade Cunningham, he's strong enough to at least like 
maybe present a few issues. Uh, Jaden Springer, I think, is just a little too short. It wouldn't stun me if they went Springer, but the problem with Springer is he has like kind of shorter arms, and I think Cade would just kind of extend by him a little bit. We're kind of getting into the weeds, though, but like it would be really interesting to see that matchup from a number of different perspectives, if only because... Um, you know, it's, it's hard to find a game where you get three lottery picks on the court at once, you know? Right. And it's also a good test of Kate Cunningham's defense. That was something you talked about a lot in your most recent mock draft. It's something that impressed me in the limited amount of Kate Cunningham film that I've watched. He's going to have a challenge too. And I'm interested in seeing how he handles that, especially in a really challenging matchup overall against Tennessee, if it happens. Yeah, for sure. And Kate is a guy that I don't want to say he's like turned it off defensively at times this year but there have been like there are occasionally stretches in games where he ramps ramps it down gear wise you know what i mean like i'm not saying he doesn't play hard he absolutely does and he's like the ultimate winner like just read the q a i did with him uh earlier this week when this gets published but i want to see him really just like lock in for 40 minutes and just be like fuck you i'm winning like that uh, he does that at the end of games every single game uh he averages i think like six points in the first half and 15 points per game in the second half because he just is so so cognizant of getting his teammates involved in the benefit that that can have later in the game in addition to just wanting to make the right read out of pick and roll every single time it's not that he doesn't take shots he just will if their pass is the better option he's always going to make the pass so I want to see kind of what that if he can just lock in for 40 minutes and just go, I'm winning and you're not winning. And that's the way this is going to be, because I think he can I think he can do that. Like, I really think that at this college level, he can really do that if he wants to. And I'll I'll go back to Evan Mobley briefly. I think that it is important to watch him early. I mean, SC could absolutely make it out of the first two rounds, but there's a distinct chance that they don't. And there aren't that many opportunities, and, and Mobley in particular, like he's, yeah. he's somebody that I've seen in person just going back to actually Colorado Springs at a Team USA event. I might have seen him before that when he was younger at Hoop Summit or something like that. But centers, and, and especially with the, the growth that he's had defensively, it's nice to see them against different opponents. It's nice to see them in, in, uh, opposing and in different schemes just because there, there aren't that many opportunities. Yeah, and here's the thing. Um, if they get through that first round matchup, they'll probably play Kansas. Kansas has had the best defense in the country over the course of the last month, I think it is, maybe six weeks. Uh, and part of that is David McCormick inside. And David McCormick is a little bit shorter than Evan. He's like 6'10", but he's like 250 pounds. And I think the one thing that we've seen at times this year with Evan is that you can push him around a little bit. Just a little bit, not a lot. And I want to see what he looks like going up against someone like McCormick, who will try to bury him in the post every time. It will present a really interesting challenge for Mobley, I think, to try and just navigate someone who's clearly stronger than he is while also being skilled at putting the ball in the basket. I'm surprised, not necessarily from a prospect perspective, but because I know about your enthusiasm for it, that Arkansas Colgate hasn't come up yet. Because I know that's a game that you're incredibly excited about, and it has a good draft yeah. angle with Moses Moody. He's had a wonderful year. So I'm really pumped to watch that game in part because I've already bet on Arkansas, right? Like, I think Arkansas is um, really good, and I think it's a really good matchup for them. Part Ar- of the reason Arkansas that, like, insta- I, instead of the over? I like Arkansas for a reason I'll explain here. I think Moses Moody is going to drop like 25 in this game. Um, if, if there were like player props, I would bet Moses Moody's over because. 
Moody is someone that against lower level competition this year, I mean, every game he's dropped at least 15. And sometimes he's been up to like 25. With Colgate particularly, at the three and the four, they're running out guys that are not, how, how do I phrase this delicately? Not that uh, athletic by NBA standards. Let's, let's put it mildly. And I just don't see a way that they're going to be able to slow down Moses Moody and Justice Justin Smith in that game as well. Justin Smith is like a freak show athlete. And I think that he's just going to get out in transition and beat his guy on the floor and score. Um, I think Moses Moody is going to have a huge game in that game, but I don't know if they're going to, I don't know if he's going to face a challenge in that game in the same way that he would in the second round. Both of his second round opponents are really interesting. Texas tech obviously uh, always has an incredible defense, but Utah state also is a really good defensive team. Uh, Nimi Keita is again, like a second round prospect center who, if I remember correctly, has won the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year Award each of the last three years that he's been there. Wow. And he's only a junior, so he won as a freshman, sophomore, and junior. And is just totally able to shut down the paint in a way that nobody else does in college basketball. Now, Moody is really good at like taking relocation threes, catch-and-shoot threes. But I think that they, I think both of those teams would present a really interesting matchup for Moses Moody because they would, in Texas Tech's case, kind of force him baseline, force him into rim protection there, and try to out-athlete him a little bit on the wing. And against Utah State, he'd just have to make tough jump shots against Utah State, and that's an interesting thing to have to watch as well. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And a, a big benefit of you knowing so much more deeper into deeper into the conversation, something this you might be able to lead this into some of the first-round matchups, but something that I find unbelievably funny in this class outside of the top five, Florida State having a long forward and Texas yeah. having an athletic big. It's like, okay, we've played this game before. Not that saying they're the same. Them. Not saying they're the same guy or anything compared to the previous prospects. It's just funny that it seems like those players kind of pool sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, coaches have recruiting preferences. Florida State, like like Charlton Young, who's the assistant that was the lead that recruited Scotty Barnes, like he hunted out Scotty Barnes because he knew that it was a perfect fit with Florida State because he knows what he likes. Like he knows what Leonard likes to have in the front court and in the back court. I mean, Scotty's in a weird spot because they play him kind of all over the place. Like he'll bring the ball up the court and occasionally run the point. He'll play on the wing. Sometimes there are lineups where they'll play him and Raekwon gray. Who's another guy. That's like an interesting prospect, uh, potential second rounder this year. If he decides to come out, they'll just play those guys. And Scotty Barnes is six foot eight, six foot nine, 200 and, 30 pounds and has a seven foot three wingspan. Raekwon Gray is like a six foot eight, 250 pound bear who can switch out on the perimeter defensively. Like it's unbelievable how they find these guys. And I am immensely impressed with how smart Leonard Hamilton is every single time that I watch them play. Um, I like Scotty a lot. I think that he is probably the fourth best prospect uh, in this entire tournament. If we're going to be honest with it. Uh, once you get beyond Jalen Suggs, um, Cade Cunningham, and Evan Mobley, I think he's the guy, given the fact that the G League guys aren't obviously playing in this tournament. Um, I, I think he's a monster. And if he can ever figure out how to score the basketball, he is going to be a total stud, I think, at the next level. Um, that's obviously not like a small weakness, but mm-hmm. there, there, there are things he's going to have to improve. But it's just so rare that you get guys with that physical dimension who are six foot nine with seven foot three wingspan 
who are that strong and this skilled with the ball and have this kind of feel for passing. It's just really hard to find those guys. Yeah, and a lot of times those skills end up bearing fruit in other ways. Like this is something I've talked about before in terms of Ben Simmons and Luca when they were so talented and so intuitive as young players. And I'm not comparing. I haven't watched Barnes film yet. I'm not comparing him to those guys. But what I'm the point I'm getting at is that sometimes people focus on their early limitations and then realize, oh, this just opens up a whole bunch of stuff in their game. And that's why I was so bullish on LeBron going back to the beginning was like that he was such an intelligent player and then also had those physical tools. It's like, okay, that doesn't guarantee they're going to be a good worker. Like that can sometimes be a separate question, but it is a really good foundation to raise your floor as an NBA player. I mean, not every smart guy is a great player. We're seeing Grant Williams struggle to some extent, but I'm guessing that Barnes has better physical tools than Grant Williams did. Yeah, that, that, that'd be accurate. Uh, the guy that you hit on, though, that I didn't really um, – it's not that I didn't hit on him. Like I had him just – I think I had him like 15 on my board that year. But you were just like exceptionally high was OG Ananobi. Mm. Um, it was largely just because like Scotty Barnes has very similar physical tools to Ananobi. Um, Ananobi's probably a bit more laterally quick, but I think Scotty's ahead as a passer ball handler in terms of like what he's entering the league as. Yeah. I mean, just even mentioning Ananobi as a prospect gets my heart fluttering a little bit. Yeah, that that year, my the two guys I didn't watch a ton of film that year. Just the happenstance, I think, was what what was going on in the NBA at the time. The two guys I liked more than everything I was hearing were Ananobi and Jared Allen, and largely that's yeah. worked out. It often doesn't. Like the guys that I like sometimes fail out. We'll see what happens with Seku Dumbuya. But it'll be it'll be worth yeah, Se- Seku looks like a problem for everyone right now. Yeah, and not that fun type of problem with the face with the um, with the s- smoke coming out of the nostrils. The other type of problem. Um, no, yeah, he just might not be good enough to play at the next yeah. level. Yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, but but the other, th- I, I mean, especially when somebody's that young, I want to give them some time and just really really yep. see where it goes. And it's it is an interesting kind of thing to think about in terms of where it's going. So. Let's let's kind of work our let's keep working our way through kind of the early rounds um, the early rounds of this because obviously we'll talk about Gonzaga a little bit later in this but I kind of want to get to we think they're going to make it a while I mean I think that's the the preliminary thing is there anything else in like a you know like a a, a four five game or something else that that really interests you Yeah I'll give you a seven ten game uh, Connecticut has James Booknight Oh yeah he's top who, ten right. <sighs> Maybe tough to say right now Um, has that upside for sure. Uh, We could absolutely look up in two weeks and he has led Connecticut to the elite eight because I think they can sneaky beat Alabama in the second round. And I think they they have to get past Maryland in the first round. I, I think that I would pick them to get past Maryland in the first round. But James Booknight has had an interesting year. He hurt his elbow for a while and I think missed probably eight or nine games was okay in the Big East tournament. It was not great in their two games. Like, I think he went like something like eight of 25 from the field and had four turnovers in their second game and was like a big reason why they lost to Creighton. He's also averaging 20 points a game, 56 true shooting percentage, just a freak show athlete. Like, um, a lot of like Zach Lavini qualities there. Now, is he the crazy hyper worker that Zach Levine is? Honestly, like I, I think that very few guys are that. So it, it would be strange if James Booknight is that kind of worker. But there are a lot of similar physical tools there that if you told me three years down the road, he's having like a similar career to what Levine is having. I don't think that's like a wild 
situation where like Levine was averaging 17 or 15 a game before his ACL tear. Um, he's going to match up against the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year in Daryl Morsell for Maryland, who can just like really, really guard. And that he is going to press Book Knight in a big way. And then Maryland also has a guy with a 6'6", uh, that's 6'6", with a 7-foot wingspan, and they can throw on him in Aaron Wiggins. And then they also have another guy in Dante Scott, who is a little bit like... I don't want to say like out of shape, but like he could certainly stand to like tone up a little <laughs> bit if he wants to make the NBA because he absolutely has that ability. I mean, he's six foot seven, 230 pounds, shoots 44% from three, has long arms, has real explosive athleticism. Like they have a lot of guys that, and a lot of bodies that they can throw at James Booknight and a lot of really switchable players that I think can make things difficult for him. Um, I'm really interested in that one. And then the last one is maybe not the last one. I mean, I could talk about this for so long, obviously, as you know, but the, the, the one that everyone's looking forward to is Ohio's Jason Preston going against Virginia. Preston is a guy that is averaging like 18, eight and eight right now for Ohio. Small school prospect got hurt midway through the year. So like didn't really quite have that like crazy momentum that we hoped for early in the year whenever he went toe to toe against Illinois and almost beat Illinois, uh, mm-hmm. who is the number three overall seed in this tournament. But in the Mac tournament, I mean, I think he had something like 23 points a night, six assists, six rebounds, like total monster, like led them the whole way to the tournament title. If he has that kind of game against Virginia, I think that we're going to start to see his name like spike up late first, early second round, potentially. What's the status of Virginia? I know they were dealing with, I I wouldn't know if it's an outbreak, but there was some sort of issue, right, for them last week? Yeah, I don't know. It seems like the ACC tournament had like a mini outbreak because we're going to miss Moses Wright, it looks like as well, uh, for Georgia Tech in the uh, first round of the NCAA tournament. Um, Look, they haven't, set up a replacement team, which they were in their rights to do. The idea is that they're going to get there on Friday and they're going to play on Saturday and we're going to see where it goes. Um, I, I hope that they're okay. I hope that all their players can play, but uh, th- their plan right now is to get to Indianapolis on Friday, do their COVID testing and get cleared to play for Friday wow. or Saturday. Something else that's heartening about this tournament for selfish reasons as somebody who doesn't get to watch as much college during the season is that it seems to me that a large portion of the high-end prospects are on teams that are actually going to make the tournament far far different than when yeah. ben Simmons and Markel Fultz and numerous other high-end guys in previous years were on teams that didn't even make March Madness yeah. that's is who's the best guy who isn't in it that you know other than like the who who is a college player this year is it Zyra did Stanford make it yeah, it's probably Zaire Williams. Uh, Stanford did not make it, and in part they didn't make it because Zaire was uh, not very good throughout large swaths of the season. Uh, he would be up there for sure. I'm trying to think who else among the college guys. Isaiah Jackson would be up there uh, for Kentucky. And it's, um, it's Jalen Johnson's obviously different because not only did Duke not make it, but he's not on yeah, Duke anymore. Right. Sharif Cooper at Auburn would be one. Um, trying to think. Josh Christopher is one. But like for the most part, it's a lot of guys that made the tournament this year. Oh, you know this, but a lot of our listeners don't. Um, 
when I went to that aforementioned Team USA event in Colorado Springs pre-COVID, I think that was like October, November of 2019, the guy who stood out the most to me of the, you know, guys that were budding, you know, going into college that year was actually Josh Christopher. And it sounds like he's had somewhat of a, well, Starcrossed makes it kind of seem like it was an (laughs) innocuous twist of fate, but had a challenging freshman year at Arizona State. Yeah, uh... It's never great when at the end of the year, your coach goes, man, I just have to recruit guys that want to be here and want to win. Like he said, (laughs) something like that uh, after Christopher couldn't play in the Pac-12 tournament. I'm sure that Christopher is like genuinely hurt. Uh, I don't mean to um, to like insinuate otherwise. But yeah, uh, it's never great when that's the case. <laughs> so what's what's interesting and... to me, just to, to to justify it a little bit with Christopher, what I saw is he isn't an insane athlete. It's in six four, six right. five range, but he does have a very good first step. And to me, yeah. at a at a basic point, especially Christopher, to me, he's more of an off guard than a lead, and I don't, I don't, I don't. I would doubt based on what I saw that he that he's going to be that kind uh, of like alpha and the omega offensively. Is no chance. So no so chance generally speaking for those type of guys, it's offensively, do you have a jump shot? Because that's that's mandatory now. And if you can you create an advantage and can you take advantage of an can you take advantage of an advantage created for you? And yep. I see Christopher when I wa- when I watched him in person, I saw him probably like three, four times over the course of that weekend. I kept on thinking that he could theoretically check both of those boxes, even though he doesn't like it's not like an yep. unambiguous check. It's interesting because you look at his numbers, they're terrible. Like he's sub average true shooting percentage, not a passer at all, like negative assist turnover ratio, made 30% of his threes this year. The the numbers on the page look really bad. You watch the tape though, and you can see some pretty real pops there in the way that you're talking about, right? Like you can see some real moments where he is exactly what the NBA is looking for. He usually defends like pretty well. He can get that separation that you need to as like an off guard playing as maybe a secondary creator, more of a scorer. The jumper does not look bad. Like there's every expectation that you would think the jumper could figure itself out. He's almost like Malik Beasley without the jumper right now. Hmm. And that's concerning because the jumper is everything that Beasley is. But like Beasley's also good at moving without the ball and like finding those little creases as well to be and a Beasley's scorer. an underappreciated athlete, too. Like it's an, he, again, not an incredible yeah. one. But I remember going back to his film. He was Florida State, too, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was there with Dwayne Bacon. Yeah, that's right. And so I remember thinking, yeah, that's that's an interesting comp. I mean, I was I when I you know that agent that agent in person stuff for Christopher, I thought he was better, but that, that's an interesting one. Yeah, and like Malik Beasley has obviously turned into someone that, uh, if not for whatever happened with him this off season, um, we don't need to get into it here. I don't think that anything has sorted itself out there as far as I know in terms of the allegations made against him. Um, he probably would have made like what 480 this summer 
something like that. Like Possibly. if I mean, Christopher the, the cha- gets the challenge jump is that, down, like it's real. The challenge for him was honestly, in certain ways, the COVID stoppage because Beasley was doing really well after the trade to Minnesota. Yep. But it ended up being a small sample, and it had not been. You know, Beasley hadn't had the chance. He hadn't been nearly as good when he was on the Nuggets, and so if. We were to theoretically say he had the rest of that year and it would have gone reasonably well. Maybe not as well as before. I thought that was an unrepresentatively good sample for him just just because very few players are that hot for that for 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 a whole half season. But it also became an out of sight, out of mind, and then you consider the off-court issues as well. I was actually a little bit surprised that he got what he did, but then when the uh, the last year being non-guaranteed, then that made it a little bit more okay. That made it, a li- it made it more plausible. Let's call it from Minnesota's perspective, and I think especially focusing on the on-court stuff, you know, I, I think that Beasley has lived up to that contract so far. I think he's exceeded it. I mean, yeah, he's averaging 20 a game. I think he's shooting 40 from three. Like he's, he basically has done everything that he did in that little stretch for Minnesota. And now the problem is that, um, the question with Malik has always been, does his game scale to being a part of a winning team, uh, in this kind of usage role, right? I don't know if that's going to be borne out necessarily. We'll have to see, but I think there's a chance it is. Like, I I think that I, I wouldn't write him off as a winning player yet. So let's think a little bit, because um, you and I probably won't talk on the podcast in, until after the tournament is over. We can talk a little bit about the stronger seeds, and both Michigan and Illinois have players that are that are thought of well, but maybe kind of like in the fringes of the lottery. Um, Franz Wagner is, I think, around that level. Um, is, yep. it, is it Dosunmu? Is that how you pronounce it? Io Dosunmu. Dosunmu. That sounds better anyway. Yep. Um, so th- both of them are kind of, they're on the lottery fringe, right? You know, Franz definitely is. Um, Io is polarizing depending on who you talk to wouldn't surprise me if he went there wouldn't surprise me if he went 25 like it's he's hard because teams have such strong preconceived notions about what his game is and about uh him being like a non-shooter early in his career and now he's shooting uh 39 from three on limited attempts uh while improving as a free throw shooter every year so like what do you do with that right Uh, What do you do with him in the half court? He's really good in the full court and he's good in pick and rolls, but are you going to use him like as an off ball secondary creator or do you use him as like a third guard? Uh, I think he can kind of do both of those things. I'm higher on him. Like I have him as a top 20 guy, but teams are more all over the map with him. Yeah, that, that's definitely interesting. Um, what about Fritz Wagner? I mean, it's Mo's, Mo's younger brother, uh, and that will inevitably lead to some people comparing the two. But based on what you've, what I've heard from you, what I've read from you about it, that's not necessarily the a great comp. I mean, Wagner's made it. You know, like, we'll see what his career is like. But Franz is a better defender, right? Yeah, I, I think that it was a pretty egregious oversight on the part of the Big Ten to not name him to the all-defense team. And they're just very different players. Like, Mo Wagner is the center. He's the center, straight up. Like, you have to play him there. Franz Wagner is, like, the role is almost like Robert Covington-y in terms of what he is. Like, he's a long six foot nine, 
like hybrid three, four wing who can shoot from distance. And I think he's going to shoot at volume over distance uh, as he continues to get older and get better as a shooter who has just ridiculous instincts as a defender on the backside and as a team defender. So I, I think that that's more what Franz is. Whereas Mo is like, Hey, uh, basically just space and, you know, shoot five who has like toughness inside. Interesting. Um, and you know, if, if those, if that combination can, I mean, you talked about how he, how he fits so well in the modern NBA. Like it's possible. Like, I mean, one of the through lines of the conversations you and I have had for years is that non-elite centers can often create some of these problems, but if you can space the floor, then that sometimes changes the calculus. And, you know, if you're on the fringes of the lottery, I would say if a player can, you know, be a starter for you, that would be a meaningful win. Oh, yeah, for sure. If you get a you get a starter at 10, 12, 14, you're ecstatic, I think. Uh, sure, everyone loves to find these stars, right? But uh, you find a guy that can really just hold down a role for you. Like, I think Miles Bridges at number 12 in 2018, like, that's that's a win for Charlotte to me, even though the shooting hasn't quite translated as much as we want. Like, Mikhail Bridges at 10, like, Mikhail's a different beast because I think at some point he might be, like, the best role player in the NBA if his career continues along this trajectory. Um, but, like, you get him at 10, it's a huge win. Uh, I, I, you know, you get... Um, I'm trying to think. You get John Collins. Well, I think, 10. I think I think an Collins interesting, went like 20, but nonetheless, I think an interesting one like that is you know Malik Monk and Luke Kennard went back to back in 2017, and yes, both of yeah. them are significantly worse than the guys who went right after them, Donovan Mitchell and Bam Adebayo. But then right. Justin Jackson, Justin Patton, DJ Wilson, TJ Leaf, you know, a couple of those guys have already been out of the league. A couple of those guys might not be signing lucrative next contracts in the league. And you're obviously going to focus in just naturally on the misses like Kali Olenek over Giannis is another one of those that gets brought up a lot. But right. I don't think the Celtics, you know, like, yes, you would rather have Giannis than Kelly Olenek, obviously. But Kelly Olenek was a totally reasonably select, reasonably successful draft pick for where he was chosen. Right. Kelly Oubre going 15. Like, that's an enormous win uh, for Phoenix, even. Uh, Phoenix got, what was it, like... Or no, for Washington. He got drafted by Washington and then got traded to Phoenix. So they got his production for a couple of years, which wasn't like amazing. But uh, by the end of the fourth year, was pretty good. And then they ended up getting Trevor Ariza, who they then parlayed into what was how, how did they or no, they didn't parlay a reason to anything because they fucked that up. That's right. Right. Yeah. So that was the 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 Wizards traded Ubre and Austin Rivers for Riza. And yep. Ubre was kind of Austin Rivers was the salary filler. Ubre was the sweetener. The Wizards wanted Ariza for the for the stretch run that year. And then yep. and then Ariza and then they're like, oh well, we're gonna have bird rights on him, so that that'll be useful. And then Ariza just gets more money with Sacramento. It goes to Sacramento. So it was and it was one of those situations where the season kind of turned, but 
Tommy Shepard decided to keep to to kind of kind of keep it going and that that optimism trying to go for the for the seed and it didn't work out particularly well. But yeah, that I See, mean that you're trait, very kind when you do that. You're you're very kind. Like to me, that's just like an egregious fuck up. Like why would you not move Trevor Ariza? You're out of the fucking playoff race. Move well, him. it is like, <laughs> but it, so the challenge that I get into in these circumstances is, and maybe I'm too kind. Like so. It, the, to kind of take back the bill a bit. And I can't say specifically in this circumstance, though I have pretty oh, good no, instincts. Like, like, for what it's worth, like, people around the NBA that I talk to, like, within teams, they tend to side more with you on this. Right. But so here's here's the problem. When you are a general manager of a team whose owner basically is like, we're trying to make the playoffs until we are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, it is very difficult. Now, it is a, an appropriate counter to say part of a general manager's job is to manage the owner and to get them. I mean, Sam Presti has generally been incredibly successful at that, though the hilarity of getting the Thunder ownership to pay to, to dip into the tax more after Tim Drain had already left is, you know, looks a little bit weird in the, in the past, but that it, it can be a real challenge. And that's a part of why I talk about ownership being the biggest competitive advantage in the NBA is that, and a big example of this might be in Orlando, where Orlando, the DeVos family, gave Rob Hennigan too much latitude. Hennigan used that latitude to hurt their future in the Serge Ibaka trade. And then now Jeff Weltman you know, is in, and Hammond are in this situation where they're probably managing for their jobs to some extent. And instead of acknowledging where this team is, and yes, they are injury plagued and that is going to, you know, that's going to make any team look worse. I I just wrote a collaborative piece with Hollinger and with uh, Josh Robbins. And the point that I was making is basically just, what are you holding on to these guys for? And it's that circumstance where, to me, you have to be able to, I mean, in an ideal world, your owner is going to give you the latitude to do what you want, what you think is right. And ideally, you'll have somebody who I can identify where you are and go, this isn't good enough. But there are times where it's an audience of one. And I've criticized different people in different jobs within the NBA for, you know, sacrificing things for the audience of one. But it is worth acknowledging that as a constraint. No, totally. I think that's absolutely right. And it's just i totally agree with you i I just don't know why there is this sense of conservatism in terms of decision making across the nba uh from ownership on down oftentimes uh like for instance like i really like what houston's doing right now like houston is just deciding you know what we went for it for a minute it didn't work let's move pj tucker i would imagine they're going to move victor oladipo I would imagine they're going to move whatever they can and then just try and rebuild and go from there. Like I'm trying to think of a couple other teams. Like we just did this uh, NBA trade big board project. Right. And if you notice like a lot of the same teams, you know, pop up over and over again. Um, If I was the magic, like I'd be moving Aaron Gordon, if I'm Fournier, Kem Birch, basically anyone that I didn't have long-term team control over. Uh, It's just, kind of what you should be doing and it's it's what makes sam presti as good as he is right it helps that at least in this phase of oklahoma city's project that he's also saving ownership a bunch of money like that is and it is an underrated part of why hinky got the latitude in the early going with the sixers is that it's always nice if the motive if the system that you're going to i didn't want to use the p word because it's going to come up in a different place here 
if that also does something else that ownership wants. Like that is a great that is a great perk, if not a sales point, if you can if you can make it work. That's also true of the Rockets in general, though not in the immediate, like they actually took on money in the P.J. Tucker deal, both for this year and moving forward. However, they have so much money coming off the books that it, you know, they're they're fine. Like that's not, it's not a big problem for Tillman Fertitta for ownership. And it's a part of why, and and I'm I'm just going to say this though. How funny would it be if Tillman Fertitta was willing to take on money now, but not three years ago when they could have just re-signed Trevor Ariza? Oh, it's it's completely like, like those sorts of things. And I brought this up with Oklahoma City before drive me completely insane. And sometimes it's the, you know, the regret of like, oh, we could have done this. And I mean, I I wrote a piece for the Sporting News eons ago, just lambasting Oklahoma City for and people want to read it about the Harden trade. And basically the Cliff's Notes version of that was a part of the reason the Harden trade happened far from the only reason was that they were worried about how expensive that team was going to be, but they made the Harden decision basically a year and a half early because the luxury tax doesn't kick in until the end of the year that you're over. And by the end of that time, we knew that the cap spike was going to happen. They just basically jumped the gun on what ended up being an incorrect evaluation of where league finances were going. And while Harden wouldn't have become Harden if that trade never occurs, it is, it'll be frustrating to me for the rest of my life. Like that's just because that Oklahoma City team (laughs) was amazing. And there are lots of reasons why great situations fail. There are lots of reasons why why great situations succeed. But when it's a self-inflicted wound, it drives me so much crazier. I mean, there are, there are a lot of them. I mean, I was really mad. I was I was a kid. I wasn't even super in the NBA when Shaq and Kobe couldn't figure it out, and, and the Lakers broke up. And I mean, those yeah. it, it always it always drives me insane. And I mean, that was something that drove me nuts during the Last Dance, or like the Last Dance. Part of that was ownership and management. You know, in those two in, in that circumstance, being the same, basically being too big for their britches and thinking, you know, like. This this is the Chicago Bulls, not the Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson thing. How's that working out? Poor. <laughs> yeah. Except and for the Bulls who are rich because of Michael Jordan. Right. And I mean, it was funny. I was, I was also thinking about that crazy game that they played on Wednesday um, where they were up a billion points and then San Antonio worked them in the fourth quarter. That's just one game now. But yeah, those sorts of situations always, always drive me, drive me crazy. And it is part of the part of the the pro basketball experience that is so fundamentally different from college is the like in college sure there are there are times when you have to evaluate you know like what is our team need what are we looking for for recruits but basically you know it's it's more in many ways like a non mostly money version of what european soccer is which is let's load up as much as we can and there are timetables and all that but it's really you know we can maximize this opportunity without sacrificing much especially when guys aren't going to be in college for that long whereas in the pros because it's a place that players spend their careers because it has a salary cap because of all these all these different elements understanding the cycles and doing your best to avoid them if, in a good way if you can like it's so essential to being good at to be to making the highs as high as they can be because yeah. that's the only way it happens yeah no that's it's 100 percent right I, I think that enough teams get short-sighted about the cyclical nature of just contracts in general that it's just really tough it, it's 
it well, drives I'll, me I'll a give, little bit nuts. I'll give you one other interesting one. So Nate and I have been doing for Dunked On, we've been doing these division by division previews. So we go in depth, you know, let's say 15, 20 minutes on most teams. And one of the ones we got on was Jeremy Grant, the Pistons. And so this is not as extreme an example as the Magic or some of these other ones because, or Bradley Beal with the Wizards, except that both sides want to hold hands as they go off the cliff for whatever reason. More power to them if that's what they want. But in Detroit, you have this weird dynamic where they are mostly a young bad team. Not maybe as bad as they've been, but you know, a young bad team. But Jeremy Grant is having this massively successful season. So what Nate and I were discussing, he brought up like basically like, would you consider trading Jeremy Grant? And my answer was yes, because the problem for Detroit is Grant, you know, he's in his later 20s. He's been a late bloomer and it's fantastic. And maybe he still has more room to grow. But the rest of their guys are going to take so long that Grant's not going to be there. And you don't have to zealously say we're only peaking at this time and we don't want any older guys. But if let's say a team offers two first round picks for him, just like it might be the case for Harrison Barnes, as was the case for Robert Covington last year, that is such a huge win for Troy Weaver. If that offer is, if is on the table and there's no guarantee it's going to be there beyond this year. I think I disagree on that specific example. And the only reason that that, that I do is because this draft is as good as it is at the top to where if they get a Jalen Suggs or they get a Cade Cunningham, that's going to turn really quickly like that. They have a really good forward pair of Jeremy Grant and Sadiq Bay. Isaiah Stewart looks like a potential long-term answer, at least off the bench at center. Let, let's assume that, you know, he could grow into a starter, but like, at the very least, he's going to be a good bench player. They still have Killian Hayes, who is something. Like, we don't know what Killian Hayes is after that start. Um, I didn't think he'd be very good to start his career. But at the same token, like, I didn't expect it to be quite as bad as what we thought either. Um, in the case of Grant, if you do end up with Cade Cunningham, which you have probably a 25% chance or so to do so. Or no, 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 no. It's not 25. What is it? It's 12 and a half now, right? 14. 14. I'm sorry. It's 14%. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you end up with that dude, this thing's going to go like you, yeah, you're going to be ready to go immediately. That's an interesting idea. The, the idea that even though they're in a trough, the trough might not be forever. Um, yeah, and like, it's also, it's also this true. trough might, might go quick. Yeah. Yeah. You might've convinced me there. I mean, and, and especially I would be maybe more persuaded by a single stronger asset rather than a couple of weaker ones, just because of the practical considerations mm -hmm. that, you know, like, eh, eh, the funniest idea. Here, here's the other thing, too. If the, if Jeremy Grant had two years left, I'd probably side the other way on this, right? Like, I, I would probably agree with you. Like, if you're a year and a half left, I mean, by that, like the end of this year and then next year, and then he was a unrestricted free agent. Sort of like the, the, I'd probably the, agree with you. the Aaron Gordon line, let's say, because that's where he is. Right. This year. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think they should just move Gordon for everyone's sanity, to be honest. Um, in addition to um, him only having a year and a half left. And they're not going to turn this year in, in a year and a half in Orlando, I don't think. They might. Detroit might turn it in two and a half, though. Yeah, and the other... And then if, you have it, and then if you're in the same situation at the end of next... At the trade deadline next year, I don't know that the offers are going to be appreciably different for two runs at the Apple with Jeremy Grant versus three runs at the Apple with Jeremy Grant. I think some of them may be different just because some teams will, will solve the problem that Jeremy Grant would solve. Like, for example, maybe Portland does that. 
But sure. some teams probably won't. And Boston is a particularly notable example. If they end up not, you know, getting Harrison Barnes, they end up if Danny Ainge rolls over the trade exception to the beginning of the offseason, then I think their offer will probably look pretty similar. And they're also or are... in the case of Boston as well, like this they're an example of someone whose hole opened up this year. So teams always have like I think that just in a zero sum league like the NBA is like teams are going to solve holes and then other teams are going to open up holes. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that yeah, th- that's an important dynamic and also I've I've harped on this a little bit, but something that is important to remember and it is a weird ripple effect of the Giannis drama last offseason is that a few teams, good teams, saved even maybe it's the possibility of cap space because like Miami has all these team options that they could theoretically pick up if they wanted to. And that's going to shift things too because this isn't a particularly great free agent class. It is an especially weak unrestricted free agent class assuming Kawhi Leonard stays in LA, which I think is broadly expected as of now. And with Victor Oladipo not looking like himself and Drew Holiday in a situation that looks overwhelmingly likely like he's going to stick around, Miami and Dallas in particular, Toronto to a lesser extent, depending on how everything goes for them, they're good teams that will have a modest amount of flexibility. And it's easier to make these moves when you have the motivation because you you think he can really move the needle. And Grant has been successful as a smaller fish in a bigger pond. It was something that happened last year. And yep. so maybe that's the other part of the other part of this argument that I'm in, I'm insufficiently considering for the Pistons is that what if the Trevor Reza experiment doesn't work super well in Miami and they go, Jeremy Grant is the best option for this spot and they don't have a ton of stuff to trade, but maybe they have something or Dallas, you know, like I think Jeremy Grant's a wonderful fit with Dallas, depending on how Moxie Kleba and some of these other things work out. Like if you plug him in and think of Luca Moore as a two and play him with Kleba and Porzingis, pretty fun. Like there, and the upgrade on Dorian Finney-Smith is one way of thinking about it. Then you can go different ways with it. And so, and Toronto, I don't think he fits as well there, but, and, and in Boston, like depending on how the season goes, they might have a greater urgency to fill the same role. So yeah, maybe I'm talking myself out of that that Pistons idea, though I still think the premise of it is relatively sound, which is a floor raiser on a team that is already bad is is less valuable to yep. have. Like that's why I do like, agree with that. Yeah, yeah, that's why why like in the in the piece with um, Robbins and Hollinger, I was talking about like why holding on to Vooch for an offer that I don't think is really going to come is I think it's foolhardy because. His worth to them in certain ways is higher than it is to other teams, but mostly that's because they're valuing him in a way that doesn't necessarily actually matter. Yeah, I'll be I I, I've hated everything Orlando has done for three years now Um, since drafting Jonathan Isaac. Yeah, and Jonathan Isaac's good. Like, I feel bad. Like, please get well soon, John. Like we need to see you defend again very soon. Um, even that pick though, like you just took Aaron Gordon. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> then they take Chuma Okiki, who plays the same position, hybrid three four. What are you doing? Uh, at least they took Cole Anthony this year, but like I had Cole Anthony at twenty four or so on my board. Many of the same issues that Cole Anthony had in North Carolina are kind of burying their head. Uh, throughout the course of his early NBA career, where he's being asked to run the show, um, still can't finish inside sub forty percent from two point range. Uh, you know, less than two to one assist to turnover. Doesn't ratio. get to the line. Doesn't get to the foul line. Like it, it's just hard for those guys to be really good. And 
I, I just, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very skeptical of what's going on in Orlando. And I think I've like had conversations on the athletic with Robbins as well. And, uh, Josh is, you know, J- Josh often, I don't want to say he takes the, uh, the side of the front office because I don't think he does. I think that Josh is a really good reporter who tries to understand what the front office's position is and then relays that, which is really valuable. Well, and but then, I, I just don't, it is. And, I don't get it. Like, I think and, it's bad. And the other important thing to remember, and then this goes back, actually, I think the, the more, the more apt comparison to make is to the Ariza Washington one that we talked about before, which is that it is exceedingly hard as a practical consideration for a general manager to admit that they made a mistake. And that's actually an important yeah. part to some extent of the PJ Tucker trade too, where Milwaukee got out of DJ Augustine's contract. And yeah. well, you know, it wasn't treated as this massive negative. They didn't have to give up a mint to do it. But that was one of the big decisions that Milwaukee made. You know, it is lost in the shuffle that the Bucks did not have to hard cap themselves after the Bogdanovich thing. Now, they were going to be hard capped if the Bogdanovich thing had happened, but they didn't have to. They used more of the mid-level on DJ Augustine. They got Bobby Portis with the with the biannual exception, so that those were the actions that hard capped them. And now Augustine is a Houston Rocket, at least for now. And so with Ariza, basically what would have happened, the, the, the Wizards acquired him in, I believe it was December, and then things didn't go well for the remainder of that season. And then they, you know, and, and so, so it's interesting to kind of, sometimes you just have to admit, well, crap, this didn't work out exactly as, as I anticipated and getting something is better than getting nothing. But I think in certain circumstances, if your goal is job preservation, and I'm not going to typically blame somebody too much if that's your goal then doing kind of this is the i guess the argument for the like kicking a field goal when you're down by god what's the math on this like kicking a field goal if you're down by by 12 or something like that is well at least it narrows the margin um you're not going to win yeah. either way so it's frustrating though no i th- i think that uh you're definitely dead on and well in so- the case of Milwaukee here like the interesting thing is that like that, that, that was a huge deal for them. Like they, this is a huge win from, for Milwaukee, like across the board, they moved down six places on draft night. You know, let's give or take, right. You know, somewhere between five and 10, let's say they just swaps it like first rounders in terms of years. Like, it's not like they're, you know, picking up or losing a draft pick here. And then they get rid of the Augustine deal that was $7 million next year that wasn't working. Like maybe they replace that with another deal for PJ Tucker, but they're now going into next off season with a lot more flexibility than what they had this off season or uh, than what they had going into this coming off season. Right. And it is a challenge that they're going to need another ball handler, but should be able to find somebody for the minimum that'll be available. And also there aren't that many teams that are good that are looking for that at this buyout buyout deadline. So Milwaukee could move up on the list, especially that has playing time now. Like there are teams, sure, of course, the Lakers would love to have somebody and the Clippers could use somebody too. But generally speaking, like the Clippers are probably looking for somebody higher priced than a buyout guy and the Lakers, it's just not their priority. They have other things going. So I think Milwaukee could actually get somebody not amazing, but interesting for that spot and having that extra money to work with if they actually work with it could be could be useful. I mean, something to consider for the Bucks, and this is actually a parallel with the Magic as well. And the Utah Jazz actually are here too. 
is that because player salaries are rising faster than the salary cap, because it's only going up 3% next year in all likelihood, some of these teams that are kind of fringy on the tax right now are just going to be a lot more expensive next year. And maybe in certain cases, especially if it's funny with the Jazz and Bucks, where those teams, like how they do this year could dramatically affect ownership's willingness to pay next year. But that is a very real potential limitation is, are they willing to go... 10 million, 15 million into the tax to keep this team together. Yeah. And you know, the Drew Holiday of it all is interesting. Like, what does that deal come in at? Does this give them enough room to pay Drew fully and then go out and use a mid-level? Like it, it really might, to be honest. So like this, this really could be the difference for them in that regard. So I, I'm, I'm very interested. And then they move Tory Craig as well, which like that just didn't work out for whatever reason, um, I actually kind of sneaky like that move for Phoenix to oh, I do grab too. him because I think he could be useful. Yeah, I mean, um, getting a capable player for nothing or close to nothing, we don't actually know the exact terms of what they gave up, is very good piece of business for the Phoenix Suns. And I mean, it's it's amazing that like a lot of the James Jones things that I, I criticized, at least in theory, have worked out pretty well. And a lot of the other thing, you know, it's, it's not a it's not a perfect resume, but it's a whole hell of a lot closer to perfect than I thought it was. He's been done a really good job. Yeah, I, I've mentioned that a few times myself, especially the the Cam Johnson picks the one like that's the one where I was just like, what are you doing? Um, but it worked out. It's been perfect for them. They they he nailed that in every way. I'm extremely excited to see how the Suns look the rest of the year. I've I've mentioned many times that the Sharich at center minutes have been some of my favorite to watch in the league this year, especially when he's playing yep. with Chris Paul. I am a little bit skeptical that that will work as well. I mean, just basically also there's some regression in the mean in terms of opponent shooting in those minutes, but still fun to watch. Doesn't make them any less fun. No, certainly <laughs> does not. And I didn't love that they, you know, I thought Damian Jones was a was a mistake there. You know, I kind of to roll the dice on him. They cut him. Good decision. You know, you can, yeah. you can make that happen. And again, admitting admitting when something didn't work out super well, they, they brought in Kaminsky. I'm not the biggest fan of him, but he can play. And at a minimum contract, that's not the biggest thing in the world. So yeah, I, I think that this deadline, you know, you and I, along with Seth, along with Seth, did the trade big board. To me, the most intriguing question is not what offers are on the table; it's what players don't change teams. Yeah, yeah. Does John Collins stay in Atlanta until his restricted free agency? Like that's uh, John Collins is by far the most interesting name to me on this list that we did. I, I have no idea what to do with him i have well, no idea where he's gonna end up i have no idea what atlanta should do like i, I i'm all over the map on that I don't, I don't know collins is a big one for me thaddeus young who is having this wonderful season and the bulls it, 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 there's a part of it was just like what are you holding on to him for you know like yeah maybe they could do a little bit next year but i mean yep. that's that's crazy but the number one for me, I'm actually uh, – you don't know this because it came up as we were debating our thing, but I'm actually writing a full piece on it as soon as I have the time to. So I don't know, some point in the next week on – and we can end on this because I'll, I'll tease this and that will motivate me to actually write the piece. The number one Beautiful. player by a mile for me in terms of intrigue in this in this trade board is Spencer Dinwiddie. And there is a very specific <laughs> yeah, reason Yeah, we talked why, about that quite a bit. <laughs> there is a very specific reason why that – it bears it like and for people who listen to this podcast you'll be very into it and this is it's very much a me topic but you too is because Dinwiddie is hurt I'm sure in the best case scenario he's helping the Nets win a championship this year and it sucks for him and it sucks for the Nets that that isn't happening but because he is unavailable 
That means that and Dinwiddie can opt out and be an unrestricted free agent, can leave, can go wherever in the world he wants. That means the primary thing, if not the only thing, that a team that acquires Spencer Dinwiddie is acquiring is his bird rights. And so if yes. Dinwiddie and his representation How valuable are, are bird rights are willing to play ball and indicate to certain teams that having his bird rights is more valuable than it would be to other teams, then the offer that like this is this is the same piece of brilliance that that is ties in with like when players say I'm not re-signing with you to try to lower their trade value. You know, like basically the idea of cut suitors out so that the other team won't have to pay less and also so you don't get traded there. So what makes Dinwiddie so fascinating, this is what, where the piece is going to go, is like, yeah, there are teams like, for example, New Orleans. Like, I think Dinwiddie is a wonderful fit with the Pelicans, and I think he you could argue that he is, you know, as in terms of his game, if Dinwiddie gets back to 100%, he is a more logical fit with a ball-dominant Zion Williamson, like kind of where that train is going, than anybody they have right now. And he's a little bit older, and we're going to have to worry about this ACL injury, of course. You do that. So you think that, and, and like Miami, maybe he's next Rogic. Like, that's a really interesting idea, and Miami has players they could theoretically offer. They don't have draft picks. But the real elephant in the room, and this is the thing that is so juicy, is there are two teams that would not be able to sign Spencer Dinwiddie as a free agent, that would not have the capacity to acquire him via sign-in trade because they cannot be hard-capped next year, that also happen to play in Spencer Dinwiddie's hometown of Los Angeles, California. Technically, I think he's from one of the L.A. outlying areas, but we'll count it. It's closer than Paul George. If Spencer Dinwiddie indicates to either the Lakers or the Clippers that he would resign there, yes, it makes them worse in the short term, but holy crap, does that change the 2021 title picture? I wonder if, I mean, like the big question is, what is the number, right? Like how, how much is Brooklyn willing to take on long term? Are they willing to take on Marcus Morris long term? Uh, do you think the Clippers would move Patrick Beverly in such a deal? I'm not convinced of that. Or Kennard. Yeah, but Kennard is too hard with the poison pill, I think. I think they could make it work if they really need it, if they really want to. I mean, Kennard and Lou Will, like, it, the, the funny thing with poison pills that are relatively small contracts, like Kyle Kuzma's this way too, is it it's weird for the math, but it's doable because matching salary is so flexible at the lower price tiers. Um, yeah, that's a good so it would be it would be complicated, but I think it would be. I haven't worked out all the stuff, but I mean, and a Lou Williams based one would also would also work. And maybe you're sending Lou Williams to a third team. Also, Lou Williams on this Nets team would be just hilarious fun. But and like for the Lakers, the risk mitigation theoretically of Dennis Schroeder's free agency getting. I mean, theoretically, if you want for Montrez Harrell in that trade, Harrell is having a wonderful, you know, six band year, but I've had my criticisms of Harrell in that they could theoretically do something involving Kuzma. The poison pill is actually harder there because Kuzma is making less money this year and more money after it. But it is basically to me, that is the, the elephant that nobody is like really talking about yet is that Spencer Dinwiddie, if he wants to within the rules of the way the NBA governs all this stuff can basically be a free agent now and be a free agent for teams that can't sign him without this deal. It's interesting though. Like, so if you're Brooklyn, do you have interest in Dennis Schroeder? Like I don't, if you're the Lakers, would you rather have Contavious Caldwell Pope? I think I would. I'd rather, so I have, Din- I'd rather have Dinwiddie long-term for them. I think his defense is really important to what the Lakers do though. Yeah. Um, and it'd be really hard to replace him. I think, uh, Harold's interesting, but if you're the nets, do you want Harold? 
I don't like, think does Harrell, I guess does Harrell help you this year to win a title? I think he does. I think it gives them it gives them another option at center. I mean, Claxton has had some good moments for sure. Deion, but you don't know how DeAndre is going to fare defensively. You don't know how Harrell's going to fare either. But at least having another option is is useful there. It, yeah. And and Harrell, like, yeah, maybe he opts out and leaves. But also having his non-bird rights, maybe that's enough to make something happen. We just saw that with the Clippers and and Marcus Morris last year and. You know, they're they're basically at the other weird part of this, and why why I think the Dinwiddie situation is so fascinating. I mean, you could also theoretically throw the Golden State Warriors in this conversation, like considering where they are. If you offer Kelly Oubre, I mean, Oubre obviously helps the Nets more than Spencer Dinwiddie is this year, and his 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 early bird rights, I believe it is, would be interesting and useful. Yeah. But like so, and from the Warriors' perspective, I mean, that could be just a way to get a way better player. And Ubre has had a had a fine year for them overall, but and and Dinwiddie's a worse positional fit. But like you've heard, the, the, there have been rumors about like them being interested in Lonzo. I think Dinwiddie's a meaningfully better player than Lonzo Ball. And yeah, you don't have match rights, but I don't think Dinwiddie's going to get the same offer as Lonzo because he hasn't been healthy. Are we sure that we'd rather have Spencer Dinwiddie at age twenty eight through thirty one than Kelly Ubre at age twenty five through twenty eight? No, no, we're not sure. But Dinwiddie. Yeah. To me, and it's so strange because he hasn't really had that opportunity because, you know, D'Angelo Russell right. was there, everything else. I think the last time Dinwiddie was healthy and Nate and I did point guard rankings, I think I had him something like 13th. And it was based on the idea that if he gets the opportunity, I think that he can I think that he can do it. And also Dinwiddie, part of what makes him interesting for me is that he's great on ball, but he can work. He's a yeah. good enough shooter. He can work up all. He has good positional size. Yep. And so... Yep. That versatility is incredibly useful. So I don't. I mean, the the team that you brought up originally that I like is Utah. Yeah, Utah, New Orleans. Like there, there are a bunch of different ones that are really interesting. Yeah, because Utah has Mike Conley expiring this year, and the the thing is that the Mike Conley situation is going so well. It's hard for me to imagine Mike Conley going elsewhere. To be honest, this summer. Well, it's if Utah is willing to pay him. That's the real. That's the real challenge. Right. Because Utah's um, basically at the tax for next year without Conley. So are you willing right. to go twenty million into the tax to retain Conley? Maybe they can offload somebody, you know, like a Derek Favors or, or somebody else to do it. Possible, of course. But that's gonna be a challenge. So yeah, I think Utah's Utah's situation is complicated, but having a new owner who might be willing to spend definitely makes it better. I'm gonna throw I'm one other to, I'm gonna throw yeah, one yeah, other team ahead. out for you. And it's I I brought up Miami, and I think this is sort of an analogous situation. Dallas is a team that could use cap space. They could just sign Dinwiddie outright if they want to. But they have this alternate path, which is, and this is part of the idea in the mock trade deadline, I I got them, I was met Dallas and got them Victor Oladipo, is they could just get the bird rights on a bunch of guys that they're potentially interested in re-signing, let them walk if you don't like them, and then re-sign them if you if you do want them, and use Mark Cuban's insane amount of money and willingness to spend to build the best team possible. I think that's pretty reasonable. Uh, the question is, like, I feel like for that strategy to work, you'd have to trade for, like, a bunch of guys well, who Josh are valuable, Richardson's who have probably, bird rights. Josh Richardson's probably one. You'd probably move Hardaway and James Johnson in some combination for, I'm trying to think of, 
high-end potentially guys. I mean, you could do George Hill, you could do Dinwiddie, Victor Oladipo is an obvious one, and I mean, you could even maybe something like Norm Powell if if the, if the Raptors were yeah. interested. Like just potential free agents that might end up getting meaningfully more money, or that the that you know that are properly paid is, is in some ways a reason why. I mean, I mean, hell, if San Antonio were willing to play ball, Patty Mills would be interesting too. Um, but I don't think they are. And the other crazy the, the team, can, can I give you the team I've been looking at? Okay. Denver. Yep, absolutely. Because Denver, Spencer Dinwiddie would definitely be a meaningful upgrade on what they've gotten from Gary Harris and Will Barton this year. And they have enough young pieces and they have enough like random, like Jamichael Green would help Brooklyn right now. Jamichael Green would be awesome on Brooklyn right now. Right. And Jamichael Green helps Denver right now as well. Sure. But you're probably only playing one of Paul Millsap or Jamichael Green in the playoffs. Frankly, Paul Millsap helps Brooklyn right now. And, like, uh, and Millsap, can, Millsap, veto, Millsap can veto a trade, but I'm not sure he would veto a trade to Brooklyn. Right. So, like, is there a world where that works? I kind of wonder. Could, could you do something like Will Barton and Paul Millsap for trying to think of like a way to make the money work like because I, I don't know that denver would want i mean denver could just get rid of will barton another i mean time, they could do right? they could basically do jamichael green for dinwiddie right now like that that right pretty much works like that's close enough that you could do it with fungible stuff uh it's no no dinwiddie's at like is he yeah he's i guess at he's 11. At like 11 and a half yeah. yeah so you could you could add um, in you could add in like a, a minimum guy that sort of yeah. that sort of thing yeah chanchar would work just fine yeah there. basically any yeah. of those any of the cheap any of the cheap nugs would work fine yeah um but yeah like if you're denver that feels in denver obviously is going to be like drastically over the cap next year um assuming that will barton picks up this option uh and assuming that well, and, they and keep for for Denver, let's say it's Barton Barton for Dinwiddie, I believe works straight up. That makes Denver worse in the immediate, but especially if you were worried about Barton opting out and leaving, or that you were worried about him opting in and paying him, Dinwiddie is a is an interesting roll of the dice. And theoretically, maybe you even consider like if moving like Gary Gary Harris, I think they're gonna consider moving anyway. Like, yeah. That is a definitely another interesting. There are there are honestly like fifteen teams you can make an argument should trade for Spencer Dinwiddie right now for various different reasons, and also it's like, but also not give up a mint for him. Like that's the thing. We're not talking about four first round picks. This isn't a or even like a Kyle like what Kyle Lowry is probably going to generate if the Raptors end up trading him. And I think like, I'll be honest. Like you mentioned, Kyle Kuzma for the Lakers, I would probably not move Kyle Kuzma for Spencer Dinwiddie's bird rights. Like just based on well, Spencer would probably resign with Los Angeles. But I would probably would, n- not do that. I would because well, a I think Dinwiddie's way better than Schroeder if healthy. You know, if we're assuming that, but also because they aren't acquiring. If the Lakers acquire Spencer Dinwiddie, they're not doing it in the abstract. They're doing it with an understanding that he could come back, and so then that also gives them leverage in the right. Schroeder negotiations. That and and the Lakers can print money. It it does somewhat lower their title ceiling a little bit this year. I mean, Kuzma is not he's not starting or closing in. I think their best lineups, but he is an important part of what they do. And LeBron is thirty six. You know, he'll turn thirty seven next season. But I think I think raising you know significantly raising your ceiling for next year and it costing you a player who is a little bit older and is not a part of your best lineups when Anthony Davis is healthy. I think that's worth it. Last team here. Okay. No way Milwaukee thinks about something like this, right? They don't have the right matching salary. It's also too, I would say it's too risky for them just because they're not deep enough to withstand 
losing a like this team needs basically every guy who can play that they have and now Dinwiddie if we were to basically if you were to transplant Spencer Dinwiddie onto the 21-22 bucks yeah I mean that that's a pretty good fit I mean it makes life easier on Drew makes life easier on Chris Middleton everything else but they're doing that but then the other oh so uh, just just to not on the Dinwiddie point another interesting idea for Dallas this is another one that I've wanted to throw out there are players that are restricted that have that like players that are restricted you could say whether that's the ones with low cap holds like gary trent where then you can use cap space and then re-sign them so you can make yourself crazy expensive the way that miami might end up becoming or even somebody like john collins where okay you're just wielding those match rights and using that instead of cap space could be interesting too yeah like i said like the collins thing like what (laughs) I'll just ask you this. Like, what do you think happens with John Collins? Like, if for instance, like if I was Oklahoma City, I would be probably trying to figure out a way to get John Collins right now. I am confident that there are teams that are that would be excited about the possibility of getting John Collins. I, if I were a general manager, would not be for a very simple reason. Very few things scare me more than a player who does not have a max level impact getting a contract close to the max because the success rate of those contracts is extremely low. And that so is- here, here would be my counter to that with Oklahoma city, particularly, right? I think that John Collins, if he is the four man defensively next to a center who can shoot at the five and you can use him as a roller consistently where he's one of the five best roller like threats in the NBA period. Like you would agree with that, right? Yeah, he'd be he'd be around there. Yeah, I, that that seems yeah. that seems fair. And he's not bad on defense at the four. No, he's, he's bad when he has to play the five. And it's it's hard to make that work. Obviously, if you're Oklahoma City, you just drafted Pokushevsky, who you think can be that like spacing five, right? At some point, ideally, I kind of think I would go for it if I was them because I don't think it would cost that much. Like I think that he could be a legit max player in Oklahoma City next to Shea, next to you know maybe maybe you would have to give up Darius Baisley, right? Like maybe that would be the ticket, right? And I'm okay with that to be sure. honest. Like I think Baisley's good. Um, I think he's going to be good, and I think he's going to be a starter level player. I don't think he's going to be John Collins. Um, you could do this for something along like Baisley plus a pick or something like that, because it's very easy to match John Collins's salary number. I don't know, man. Like, I kind of think that that's a that's just kind of a money fit. Like, even if you want to even if you want to run like some weird like stagger screen shit with like Al Horford and John Collins where they're both able to pop. Like that's kind of the problem with Atlanta is that when Clint Capella is in, someone has to dive to the rim, right? Period. But if it's Al Horford and John Collins in a pick and roll, like a stagger screen and roll, you can theoretically pop both of them, empty out the paint and let Shea just kind of rock. Or you can roll Collins to the rim and it becomes really fucking hard to guard. Like, and look, Al Horford's not going to be there long term, I don't think, either. Like, maybe they're, I think they're trying to like pump up his value, to be honest. Like, I think he's been useful for them this year. He's been helpful. He's been really, really great to have around Shea. But I don't know. Like, I think that if you can get an empty slate for John Collins where you're specifically looking for a five man who can shoot and protect the rim, I think you can find that and make Collins work at the four. The other argument in favor of Oklahoma City is they have more spending power than they know what to do with. So the opportunity yes. cost of paying John Collins, let's yeah. say it gets all the way up to $25 million a year, not that big a deal yes. for them. 
Like, yeah, that they Not lose some like they lose some flexibility in terms of you know getting wielding that in terms of trades, getting some players on the margins, but that's fine. And they have all these other avenues, including a billion and a half draft picks to get there. Also, underrated for the Thunder, they have a lot of intriguing players on reasonable value contracts. Lou Dort obviously gets a lot of attention there, justifiably so, but Kendrick Williams is having a, a nice year. We'll see what happens with Svi. Yep. They have Baisley. You know, Baisley is in his second year. So yep. they... I think that they can roll the dice a couple of times and it would be it would be fine. I'm not I wouldn't go crazy there. But the funniest part of the John Collins thing is I think every like part of why it's so hard to calibrate is that I don't think Hawks management loves him either. So this isn't a Vooch situation right. where they need to be bowled over because they know how how valuable he is to the franchise and everything else. Like I think the Hawks would do it. It's basically just will somebody give them enough to get it? Also, when you consider the context that a John Collins trade likely makes the Hawks worse, and Travis Schlenk is likely at least in part, but maybe in whole, GMing for his job, and so making them worse when that might get him fired is a bitter pill to swallow. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I wonder, too, if Boston should be willing to go for it, because they could get Collins with—he's one. Of, Collins is one of the few guys that they can acquire— without having to move Marcus Smart or Daniel Tice, who I think is important as well, but also not having to use the trade exception. That is a fair point. However, the the counter for me there is if they want to pay John Collins. It gets tough. <laughs> their their ownership group isn't better be willing not to not just to pay the luxury tax, but to pay through the nose for the luxury tax. And blow through it. Like just just absolutely like getting into some of those crazy like Warriors level. And not just yeah. for one year, because Tatum has five years, Jalen Brown has three, and then is probably going to get a raise. Kemba Walker still has two more after this year. So it's not like, oh, you know, we're taking a bitter pill for one year and then we're going to do this. Like in a, in a world where the luxury tax were less punitive, maybe. And I, I think Collins, especially if the end game is Collins and Robert Williams, or, you know, maybe you're not playing them together all the time, but like something where those right. two guys are your primary centers would be really fun. Right. Um, but yeah, so yeah, this obviously, I mean, that's something we got into in the trade big board and everything else is just, it's, there are a lot of moves that might not happen. I talked about how the players who don't get traded is going to be one of the most important things to watch. But also, like, these circumstances where maybe it should be one thing and it isn't, like, that's going to be, you know, like, Aaron Gordon is going to be interesting, and Vooch, and Devontae Graham is another interesting one. Like, it seems like he might be kind yep. of on the outs, but just because he's kind of on the outs doesn't mean you need to trade him right away. Right. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, Devontae's situation is really interesting because like, he's one of the guys that the Lakers could easily acquire. Like if they were willing to give up the asset value for him, it would be simple to go out and get him. Um, just because it's very easy to make the money work on someone like Devontae Graham. Like you could do Taylor Horton Tucker in probably two seconds. And I would imagine that the Hornets, I mean, you could, could do Jared like, Dudley. They like, you can get to, you can get to a minimum contract. I mean, technically you can't use, you'd have to use a, a trade exception or matching salary, but still you can get there a million different ways. And then the other team that has done this in the past is the Clippers. Like the Clippers went out and acquired Luke Kennard before paying Luke Kennard. Right. Um, is there a world world where they just decide, you know what, screw it. Let's move a couple assets for Devonte Graham and pay him. Absolutely. I, I, I think there is. And then can I, can I give you one final team that I think would really work for him? Philadelphia. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, and that Philadelphia would be, would be excellent for him. And it is worth remembering that Charlotte doesn't have to make a move there, even if they in, don't intend for Devontae Graham to be on the team moving forward, which I, I think there's totally plenty of reason for him to be, even if you think LaMelo and Rozier are your starting backcourt of the present and future. Because having 48 good minutes of point guard is extremely important because Devontae Graham might not get a crazy contract, though he could. But I could see them, you know, just if if it's something that's interesting. And for Philly, especially if, let's say, the Lowry stuff doesn't come to fruition, the asking price for Devontae Graham probably isn't going to be crazy. So I don't know if Mitch Kupchak liked Tyrese Maxey. I don't know. I mean, I I really enjoy Matisse Thibel. I'm hoping that he stays on the Sixers because he's so destructive defensively, and I'd love to see that in the playoffs. But yeah. And that is the type of move I could see Gerald Morey considering as well. Would you, uh, like, I don't even know if you'd have to give up Thibel for Devontae Graham. Like, is there a world where the the 76ers are able to sign B-Ball Paul to, like, a three-year entry-level deal and trade him to where, where is he, Charlotte or wherever, wherever. yeah, Charlotte. Um, you could do, like, B-Ball Paul and uh, Isaiah Joe or something like that, plus picks, because I think that they... Um, still have like a couple of high level picks. Like I think they might still have that like New York Knicks second rounder. That's probably going to be like a mid tier second rounder. Yeah. And it's much more palatable to pay Devonte Graham after this year as Philadelphia, because of the moves that Daryl Murray made in the 2020 off season, you know, getting off of Al Horford's money. And now one way of doing that is to pay Kyle Lowry. That's I think why some people are getting there, why, why that could happen. But there are other ways. I mean, yeah, and Philly, one of the other good ones they have, it's deeper in the future, but they have the most favorable of Atlanta, Charlotte, and Brooklyn's 2023 seconds. Like, pretty decent chance that's going to be a decent one. And there's a pretty decent chance if they're trading with Charlotte that Charlotte will be getting their own pickback. So they could be yeah. interested in that. No, totally. So, um, yeah, Philadelphia is the one that I'm looking at in thinking this one is pretty damn interesting to me. Yeah. Um, there are just a number of – because he could help them like quite a bit, I think, off the bench. He could. Well, you and I could get down going down these rabbit holes for for a long time. Instead, we will save that for the written word as we are doing doing right now. But thank you so much for taking time. Pleasure as always. Yeah, we still have to write about PJ Tucker. How about we do. that? <laughs> See you, Danny. Thanks again to Sam Vecini for taking the time to come on. You can, of course, read his excellent work at The Athletic, including the collaborative stuff we do, but also including the excellent college basketball NBA draft work that he does. You can listen to the Game Theory podcast, which is excellent as well. And you can check him out on Twitter if you don't already. Sam underscore Vecini, S-A-M underscore V-E-C-E-N-I-E. And for part two of this NCAA tournament preview podcast. I'm going to bring on my sister, who, for those of you who are unfamiliar with this concept, my sister is a biologist by training who actively dislikes sports, but actively loves mascots and everything like that. And so the premise of this, which we started about 10 years ago and have released as a podcast for about five, is with no knowledge of the quality of the teams. I just give her the mascot. She thinks about in a wonderfully analytic way what would happen if they got into a fight. And it is one of my favorite things that I do. It is really fun. People have consistently requested that it continue to be a podcast. So it is continuing to be a podcast. And here it is. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. 
I, as I told you before we started recording, uh, I'm actually going to give you all of the matchups this year. So we'll see. I don't think that's going to lead to anything crazy because now they have like play-ins and all this other stuff. So it, it, it is a little bit harder from implementation from my side, but it should still be a lot of fun. Uh, so the first thing we're actually going to do is a play-in. So this is one where basically the winner of this mascot fight will then immediately be in another one. That's just kind of the way we're going to work it. Oh. Um, so the first one is going to be Spartan versus Mountaineer. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, does the Spartan have any gear? Spartan. This is, the Ap- this is the Appalachian State Mountaineer, if that helps you at all. <laughs> um, maybe. Okay, well, um, yeah. I mean, okay, listen. East Coast Mountains are not um, like West Coast Mountains. So, And it looks like Spartans pretty uniformly have a spear and shield. So I'm going to say Spartan. Okay. Uh, so now the Spartan, it's next round matchup. And this is funny because uh, obviously it doesn't matter. They're playing the best team in the in it, but it's Spartan versus Bulldog. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just one Bulldog or does each player count as a Bulldog? No, uh, I, 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 I always I always think of it that you get one unless your team specifies that it is like a pack, like a, the wolf pack. Yeah, Spartan, I guess. <laughs> okay. Uh, another one that I think is I would describe as a mismatch. Um, a Sooner, so that's kind of a person in the thing going in Oklahoma versus a tiger. A person in Oklahoma? Pretty much, yeah. Like in a covered wagon? Versus tiger? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they'd just be frozen in fear, so tiger. Okay, this one you're probably getting... I've been getting... rewatching. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was saying I've been rewatching Arrested Development recently, so like when I heard tiger and... Uh, Sooner, I, I heard, I kept hearing like Lucille in my head. <laughs> um, okay, so this one you might need to look up. Um, it's actually a gaucho. So this is UC Santa Barbara. Okay. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> uh, the first thing that showed up was like a raccoon and a sombrero. <laughs> Um, but I think it's actually a guy. Okay, got it. Okay, so the gauchos um, are facing a blue jay. Oh, interesting. I mean, this person doesn't appear to be armed. He just appears to be angry, and I feel like he'd have a an anger-based heart attack before the blue jay would have any real damage, so blue jay. Yeah, if it, if it helps you, a gaucho, the definition is it's a cow, like a South American cowboy. Okay, well, they should have equipped him better. One picture has a lasso. But okay. So you're, you're, you're picking the blue jays? Yes. Nice. Uh, Cavalier, so we've often used kind of a musketeer as the shorthand for that, versus mm-hmm. a bobcat. Cavalier definitely has a sword, oh. but like one of those thin swords like the three musketeers. Mm-hmm. That's mm, that's a kind of fun one. I mean, I think probably eventually the Cavalier would win, but it would probably be pretty severely damaged and might like die later of infection. But I'll still say Cavalier. Okay, that I, I was really torn on that one. I was interested to see what you picked. Okay, now we get one of our old our old mascot bracket favorites, the Shockers, the sentient oh, the sentient bundle of wheat against <laughs> against a bulldog. Oh wow! Okay. Um, that's amazing. I feel like the, the shocker is going to win. Cause like what, I mean, like, the bulldog can like walk on it, be trampled, be like <laughs> rolled over by the wheat. I don't know what a bulldog would do if it tried to eat wheat, but I feel like that wouldn't be like super good in the long run. So a uh, shocker. Nice. I, I think this is, no, maybe the Shockers won before. I can't remember. Um, but now it advances, and it's another one of those have to pick immediately. Now it faces a Trojan. Uh-oh. 
let me just see what uh, what Trojan is this? Like uh, USC. So he has okay. a sword and rides a horse. Uh oh, that's not very good for the shocker. Um, if he didn't have a sword, I would say maybe he had a chance. But uh, yeah, we'll go with the the Trojan. Fictional bird versus real bird. Uh, Jayhawk versus an eagle. <laughs> Um, does a Jayhawk have any special abilities? No. Other than being fake? Um, yeah, I'm just not in the mood. Uh, Eagle. Yeah, fictional bird power. Like, yeah, it's not even like a mythical bird, like a, I don't know, like a mythical bird. (laughs) Okay, I think this is a matchup we've never had before. Duck versus Ram. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay, so let's think about this. Where would they most likely play? Um, so the duck is the better seed. So I guess if you were to use that argument, it would be at the ducks. Like what state? Oregon. Okay. Versus a ram in Oregon. Yeah, they would be playing in Oregon. The ram is from Virginia, technically. I mean, a duck can go in the water, can fly away. I feel like it just has way better escape potential, but I don't know what it, in the world it could do to attack a ram. Um, so I guess I would say ram. Makes sense to me. I, at first, I thought you were going with the ducks, and that would have been interesting. Um, okay, one you're going to have to look up, the Iowa Hawkeye. I think it's just a hawk. Okay. Though I think, like many of those, their mascot is a little bit weird looking. I would say it's just like a human uh, humanized hawk. So I think hawk is the fair way to put it. <laughs> yeah. And it's his a, name is his name is Herky. Happy Feet Style Hawk. Yeah, Happy Feet Style Hawk versus a new mascot, I believe, for this podcast, the Antelope. Ooh, um, I want to actually see what an antelope mascot looks like. What is it, the uh, state? Grand Canyon University. That's a cool um, mascot for that university. Okay. Oh, you know what's kind of interesting is that the antelope looks happy. And the um, Hawkeye looks, like, super, super angry and more determined. Um, I will say the, the Hawkeye. Okay. Yeah, if it had been an armadillo or something, maybe I would have, it would have had better defense properties. But now that my, at least my thought. Yeah, like, it's something about it looking so happy that makes me feel like it would just get its eyes pecked out. <laughs> okay. Um, this is a fun one. Mountaineer versus Tiger. Is this a West Coast or East Coast Mountaineer? I'm looking it up. I can't remember where Mount St. Mary's is. Mount St. Mary's is in Maryland. Okay. So it's a Maryland Mountaineer versus a versus a tiger. Technically a, te- a Texas tiger, if that helps, but I don't know if that helps. Oh, so like a zoo tiger. Well, I mean, I don't I don't think you necessarily have to. It's not a non-native tiger. Let's put it that way, I guess. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, any tiger is not native to Texas. Um, let's see. I think I, I feel the same way as I did about the previous tiger matchup, that the Mountaineer would just be largely caught off guard um, in basically any habitat, e- either habitat of these mascots. So tiger. That leads to a fun one. You're one of your favorites, that tiger facing the mountain, facing the Michigan Wolverine. <gasps> Ooh. Let me look up the Michigan Wolverine. Oh, it looks pretty angry. So it's Tiger Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Oh wow. This is really hard. I mean, I think that, okay. 
the tiger would really have to get like a great, great bite, but it would only need one. A wolverine would need to come at a tiger multiple times. So I'm going to say tiger. Wow. This is the first time the wolverine has ever like not made it really far. Um, okay. So now we'll, so now we get a tiger, a different tiger versus okay. so the same kind of the bonnies their mascot you're like what's a bonnie their mascot is a wolf so basically tiger versus wolf oh um where are the bonnies from St. Bonaventure is in up. I think it's it's in New York State for sure. Um, it's in Western New York State. This is one where I feel like very torn between the individual versus the group. Well, because, I would, th- like, I would think I would think, I would think of them. I would think of them as both individual because it's not mentioned as a wolf pack. It is just a wolf. Uh, They're not. Is there NC such State. a mascot as a wolf pack? Yeah, NC State, who I don't think made the tournament this year. They might. If if so, we'll see them. I feel like that would be a huge improvement if people could just like put the grouping well, but see, uh, but of the, the thing, animal as part of the mascot. Well, but see, yeah, the thing is like all of them are pluralized, so it might not even be fair. Maybe you should think of them all as individuals. Anyway, I don't think NC State's in the tournament this year. Okay. We'll see. I mean, because like basically I think a pack of wolves could get a tiger. Um, but it would probably be a pack of tigers as well. <laughs> Maybe you think yeah, of maybe think maybe the way maybe the way we should think about this because there are five players on the court is five of whatever thing this is at a time. Eh, either way. Oh boy. Whatever you want. This is do. the ultimate cat versus dog showdown. Um, I don't know why I really want to go with wolf. Um, that doesn't feel super smart, but I just think that they might have more stamina than tigers. So wolf. Oh, this is a great one. Um, buffalo versus bulldog. <laughs> I'm just imagining like a little bulldog in a t-shirt, like barking at a buffalo um, from really close range. But so bu- buffaloes charge the thing that they're trying to attack, right? I'm not sure that they would do like a huge amount of damage unless they were able to like kick the bulldog. But then again, same thing as like duck versus whatever the duck was against. Uh, what exactly is a bulldog going to do to hurt a buffalo? Um, I'm going to say reluctant buffalo. But let me just add, I keep thinking about the Komodo dragon. Is there a Komodo dragon mascot? There is not. Because like Komodo dragons, what they do is they can take down like a water buffalo. But they just bite it once, and then they follow it around for a week until it falls down and dies of the infection that was in that Komodo dragon's mouth. Like, we need more (laughs) (laughs) infection-based killing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No. So now the next one is people. Both people. Uh, A Seminole, so that's a Native American from Florida, versus a Spartan. Um, let me look up the seminal to see what buffalo edge they have. Uh, Florida State is the school. Oh, it's on a horse. What? Versus, it's on a horse. It's on a horse. It looks like. A versus a what? A Spartan. Mm. Mm. I mean, listen, like guns, germs, and steel is hitting me pretty hard, but I feel like the horse is a huge, huge advantage. And not only is there a horse, there's also, like, a feathered spear. So um, I'm going to say, like, maybe home turf advantage pro, the the Seminole's going to get it. Yeah, and they, and they have home court in the game, so that, that makes sense there. Um, okay, 
Uh, another play in Bruin. So Young Bear versus Spartan. Lots of Spartans this year. Oh no! This feels. This is the first one that feels cruel. <laughs> um, but I would have to say Spartan. Okay, so then the Spartan advances, and that's another one of those immediate rematch. Um, Spartan versus Cougar. Ooh. Um, where would this, uh, match likely occur? Utah, home of the Cougar. Ooh. Ooh. Cougar. I think they could probably, like, they're very sneaky. They could probably get the Spartan when it wasn't on guard. Yeah, and now you have a greater sense of Utah geography, so you feel like you can answer this more accurately. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, okay, Texas Longhorn, so that's the one that's basically a, it's basically a steer versus a wildcat. Oh, Wildcat. Wildcats are relatively small. This is very Buffalo Bulldog. Um, I'm going to say the Longhorn just for the same reason. Like, I don't exactly know what a Wildcat is going to do to a Longhorn. Okay, absolutely my favorite one of the first round, at least of the ones we've seen, but I believe of the whole thing. Husky versus Terrapin, and a Terrapin is a turtle. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this one feels cruel, too. Um, uh, especially because it would be, like, actually entertaining to watch and not cringy. Um, I-, I will say I- a Terrapin, I'm looking at the definition. It, it, the, the first th- four words of the definition that I'm seeing are a small edible turtle, which is like... <laughs> <laughs> A delicious snack turtle. <laughs> oh, but it, it's from it's from um, an it's, it's from have a mascot that's like edible. It's from an, it's from an Algonquin word. Um, it's the turtles that live in fresher brackish water. Um, there are lots of different variants, but it's it, the, this one's from Maryland. I will say, like the mascot pictures I'm seeing are a mix of something that looks very bird-like to um, roided-out teenage mutant ninja turtle. Well, so it's very the, interesting. It's, it's the Maryland terrapin. It's more the roided out ninja turtle. Actually, they're <laughs> both of them are theirs. Like it's just, I guess it's when it's when it's, when it's pictured or when it's um, a mascot. I guess that's the, you know making it for kids. Um, <laughs> sorry, what's this against again? Husky. Uh, wolf. Husky. Husky. I mean, I feel like this roided out turtle would scare um, most any dog, but it still would eventually get it. Yeah, husky. Oh my! Wow. We have almost never had this before. Two weather events. Well, <gasps> Crimson Dream. Crimson Tide versus a Gale. Oh wow. Okay. Um so Crimson Tide, that's gonna be Wait, I are they referring to just a second? I'm I'm seeing if they're Oh, so they're referring to a Gale as a person from Ireland. Interesting. So they're not using like a Gale Force wind. Or are they referring to Tide as the Tide? Oh, wait, Crimson Tide is an elephant? Their mascot is an elephant, but they're still the Crimson Tide. I, I choose to use the <laughs> description. I choose to use the description if the description is apt, and then they, I guess you can't visualize okay. a Crimson Tide. You can choose what you want, though. Uh, you can absolutely visualize a Crimson Tide. So the water is red because of a harmful algal bloom. No, I'm saying, I'm, I'm, saying like, water. I'm saying like as a mascot. Oh, <laughs> We just put a hat on it. <laughs> um, beach with hat. Um, what's it against again? <laughs> a gale, which um, in this context is uh, is a like a Scot a Scottish a Scottish Islander or a uh, a Celtic. So like a not person, wind, not wind. Um, that's interesting because they would be familiar with the coast, but if you had to go into it, I think that the Crimson Tide would win. 
I'm now looking up their mascot is named Killian. I'm trying to see if Killian is a person. Oh, it is. Oh, actually, you should look this up. Iona, Iona okay. mascot Killian. It's an interesting visualization. Um, is it this like Abraham Lincoln looking guy? Yes. Hmm. Just kind of interesting. <laughs> with a, okay, with a, here's here's why I know he's gonna lose because he's red, so he's like already been through the tide. So like he's he's fated to die in the Crimson Tide. Well done. Okay, bear versus hawk. Ooh, um, hawk. Oh, gosh, that's really close. Where would they likely be? Um, at the bears, and the bear is from Texas. Oh, but I think you just uh, say in that case, actually. Yeah, so I guess you could say I would. The way oh, I would say what? is that the fight is in Texas. Whether, but I guess technically the bear is home. You know, it's complicated. What is it with Texas having mascots that like, don't live there? Yeah. <laughs> what is with that? Um, I feel like a hawk could really tucker a, a bear out. Like if the bear were trying to chase it. Um, but would the bear then, would the bear chase it, or would the bear just sit there? Well, it's a battle. <laughs> they have enough. to be trying to get each other. <laughs> I've had to take motivation out of this, otherwise the tide thing really kind of falls apart. Um, and I'm gonna say. Hawk, for that reason, I can just envision a hawk, like, taking the bear further and further into, like, the hot Texas weather that it's not supposed to be in, and then all of a sudden the bear has, like, no access to food or water, and just, like, collapses, and then the hawk, like, goes after its eyes. Nice. I did not expect that, but I respect the logic. Um, okay, Tar Heel, we've defined that before as, like, a Civil War fighter versus a badger. Ooh, okay, I'm looking up the Tar Heel mascot. Their mascot is like kind Wait, of a ram-looking thing, but I would say it's it, the mas- They're actually named after a civil war fighters. Like that's what Tar Heel means. Okay, and civil war fighter with or without weapon. I would say with a civil war what era weapon? So that would be a black powder mm. rifle. I would believe. Yeah, I think the Tar Heel. Tar Heel, got it. I feel like that matchup has probably actually happened many times. Fair point. Yeah, that that's I, I would bet that it did back back then. Um, Wildcat versus Eagle. <laughs> Um, wild cats, yeah. I mean, I feel like the wild cat would be really motivated to catch a giant bird. Oh, we have another abstraction. This is another, like, one we've we've discussed. So one of them is the Boilermaker, which we've talked about before. Basically, that's a person who, you know, like, who has the a mechanic for boilers is the best way to put it. But then the other one is the North Texas Mean Green, and I'm going to need to look up what that is. Okay, me too. It's such a shame that, that Stetson never gets to make the tournament because Stetson is named after, like, the Stetson hat. Um, it's a green eagle, looks like. Yeah, it is a green eagle. So I guess Greagle. green eagle versus Boilermaker. Okay, here's the thing. When I look at this eagle, all I think is, like, very diseased eagle. <laughs> um, <laughs> really? I mean, like, like, polar bears in a hot weather zoo are, like, green because their fur is hollow, so little algae can grow in it when it's too hot. That is what I'm feeling with this green eagle. So um, I think the Boilermaker can take this thing. Okay, Red Raider. So I think we've kind of defined that before as, like, a pirate-y thing, like a raider, you know, like a, a pirate, versus an aggie, which I believe is a... Is it a cow, or is it... Let me look at Utah State. I'm looking at it. Utah State's mascot. Big blue. It's a um, bull. Okay. Yeah, so it's a cow. 
versus what again? A Red Raider, a Texas Tech mascot you can look up. Okay. I really like this one picture of, like, Aggie Ski Day. Um, <laughs> and then there's another one with it, a face mask. Okay, very timely. Okay, um, okay. Oh, so he basically, Texas, Texas Tech? Tech, he basically looks like Yosemite Sam. Okay. Um, oh, boy. Wow. With, like, giant cartoon eyes and no mouth and a gun. However, the the Masked Rider, the uh, older one, was way cooler. It's just an old-timey revolver, though. Oh, and, like, by the way, in some of these, he's just doing, like, finger-pointing pistols. <laughs> like, pew, pew. I think that might just be public. Um, I, I think you could treat it as if they are actual ones, because an actual Red okay. Raider, an actual, I don't know, Yosemite Sam would have between one and two revolvers <laughs> yes with leg holsters okay so i'm yosemite samming and then i've got this bull here's the thing like there's a part of me that wants to choose the bull because i feel like yosemite sam might try to like tame it like try to be a bull rider and have that like epically fail rather than just shoot it with his revolver like i think he'd try to just like over macho the situation and get himself hurt. Um, so for that reason, I'm going to choose the bull. Got it. Oh, we have another raider, but this one is Colgate University. Mm. So if you want to look that up. Okay, yeah. You, can you look up um, how wh- whoever has made Colgate got rich? Is it it's like, is it the toothpaste magnate? <laughs> I don't know. I kind of want to look that up now. Yeah, I want you to also, because the Colgate mascot has red eyes. It's scary and gray for some reason. Yeah, one of the trustees was William Colgate, founder of Colgate Palmolive. Wow, okay. That's why he has such a nice smile. <laughs> Against, uh, so, so, so you've seen the mascot now. Against a Razorback pig. <laughs> Arkansas Razorback. Oh, wow. I mean, there's a part of me that wants to root for the pig, but this guy looks hungry, so... I'm going to go with the um, Colgate guy, if it the Colgate w- man. If it was a boar, would that change it? Because I'm trying to figure out how big a Razorback is. No, because this looks like some big muscly dude who like sometimes has um, weapons, but sometimes not. I feel like you could just tackle most pigs and just get it. Okay, this and one. Be into it. This one I want you to look up first. H O K I E, and then mascot. So it's Virginia Tech. They're the Hokies, and then I will tell you what it's facing because I think it's more fun for you to have a visual of this. <laughs> what? Okay, and they're facing a gator. <laughs> oh my god! It's like Thanksgiving in Florida. Um, obviously the gator is going to like just sneak out of wherever it is and like roll that, um, ridiculous, ridiculous hokey, like into whatever body of water it came from. Yikes. Wow. That, that might be one of the greater mismatches we've ever seen in mascot bracket. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you could just have your mascot be like a drumstick. I mean, that's basically (laughs) what we're going with here. Okay. Uh, We've had challenges with this before. The Buckeye, whether it's the tree or the nut, but either one, I think you can kind of pick because it is both, versus a Golden Eagle. Ooh, okay. Are Buckeyes toxic? Probably not. I'm going to look this up. I believe they are. Mm. (laughs) Causing bleeding and depressing the central nervous system. Hmm. 
This is something we may have never looked up. Yeah, basically everything in a Buckeye, the the leaves, the bark, and the fruit of an Ohio Buckeye are all poisonous. (laughs) Wow, Buckeye is making a real comeback thanks to Google. Um, Versus a hawk? Versus a golden eagle. Yeah, well, assuming that this is a golden eagle, like an actual eagle and not some sort of fictional eagle made of gold. I, um, I, I believe so, yes. I'm going to say the Buckeye is going to poison the eagle. I, I think that makes sense. <laughs> oh, oh, you're going to lo- you're going to love this way too much. OK, so the fighting Illini. So that is a, a, the Illini or the uh, a native tribe in Illinois okay. versus get ready for it. Mm-hmm. Dragon. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. OK, um, huh. I'm going to look up the. Illini mascot. What is the name of school? Illinois. They're the Illinois Fighting Illini. Versus what again? A dragon. Oh, dragon. A dragon. Of course, a dragon. Um... It's hard because, like, there's a part of me that thinks, you know, you could tell a story about a dragon, blah, blah, blah. But, like, I think if you really, really believed a dragon were after you, you would um, make a mistake. <laughs> so I'm going to say dragon. Okay. Um, the Rambler, it's their mascot is a wolf, so we'll count it as a wolf, versus okay. a yellow jacket. <laughs> you could have said the Rambler is like a couch surfer. <laughs> Um, and yes, a yellow jacket okay, a is a is a bee. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, age old battle of wolf <laughs> wolf versus bee. Like this would have been a really good one to just be like the yellow jacket swarm because yellow jacket swarm much much more powerful than yellow jacket singular. Um, therefore, uh, wolf volunteer. So we've defined that as like a person volunteering. <laughs> Versus a beaver. Now I'm just thinking about my girl with the bees. Okay. Um, <laughs> Do you want to change your vote? <laughs> I'm sad. No. Oh, I'm so sad. Okay. Um, what? A volunteer and a what? A beaver. <laughs> okay, so here's what's going to happen. The beaver, the volunteer is like trying to help maybe restore beaver habitat or something. And the beaver is like... Beavers restore their own habitat, right? Beavers were recently, I think, reintroduced in England, and they've been, like, killing it. Um, I feel like the person trying to mess with a beaver in its habitat is going to not come out ahead, um, especially if they're just, like, some sort of restoration worker. So, beaver. Beaver. Oh, you're going to have to look this one up. Um, The Liberty Flames, but it looks like their mascot is a bull, or is a a bird, but I think it's fine to go with flames as in, unless, let me see. It's the Liberty University Flames. I don't think it's fair to say you're a flame and then just have a bird mascot. Yeah. Like, be a fireball. (laughs) Yeah, be a fireball. Um... But yeah, and then they're versus, what? versus a cowboy. Hmm. So you can. I'm, I'm going to let you. De- I'm going to let you define Liberty's mascot however you want. Oh man! I mean, I think that if you classify it as this semi-angry bird that kind of looks like George Washington versus 
a fireball, the answer is really clear. Like one of these things is going to take a cowboy and the other one is not. Um, oh, there's another picture I'm seeing of the Liberty Flame and it looks like some kind of um, all white troll thing, SLU. Um, it was like maybe a flaming head, like like a troll hair. Um, I'm going to say the Liberty Flame. I feel like I really am identifying with the uh, fireball situation. Another one that we've grappled with in the past, the orange, which is either the color orange or a sentient orange versus <laughs> versus an Aztec. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, um, all right. That was a quick Google search. Syracuse is the... Also, now you get to Google what Syracuse's mascot looks like, and you will enjoy this. I'm actually Googling, did Aztecs grow oranges? <laughs> <laughs> what is the answer? Um, the answer is I'm not getting a good answer. They they did have a plant-based diet. Um, I'm going to say I'm going to change the citrus. You should look up the Syracuse mascot, though, because it's the Syracuse mascot. Okay. It doesn't seem like they really ate citrus. But you can't um, be allergic to citrus, can you? I guess maybe somebody Okay, can. that's another Google search. <laughs> yes, there are yeah. citrus allergies. They're uncommon, but they allergy. do exist. I feel I've, I have learned something. Okay. Um, and about Buckeyes. <laughs> uh, it's the orange versus what? An Aztec. Oh, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like the Aztec, it might take a while, but I feel like ultimately the Aztec is going to try the orange and most likely not be allergic to it and probably not die from it. So uh, Aztec. That I, I thought that was the only reasonable interpretation there. But um, Mountaineer versus Eagle. Oh. Mountaineer is from West Virginia. Mm. <sighs> That's the thing, like. There's the Im- imagination of an eagle being this, like, soaring, you know, angry fighting machine. And then there's, like, actual eagles sitting at the dump. Um, okay, let's see. Um, I like how your actual I- interactions with eagles have made you less, made you think of them less in mascot battle. Yeah, like, you see them eating dead things and, like, <laughs> your time, your time, Your time in Alaska has sorely hurt the, has hurt the eagles in mascot battle. Yeah, like I remember hearing the term dumpster eagle a lot. Um, Okay, so dumpster eagle versus mountaineer. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure they're not saying dumpster. They are not. Let's see. Um, I think the mountaineer has got this one. Okay. There's a reason why eagles are like endangered, right? Or (laughs) close to endangered. Uh, Scarlet knight. So I would describe that as just a knight, you know, like a normal knight wearing red. Um, versus a tiger. It's Rutgers if you want the Scarlet Knight. Okay, I do. That's one I would really like to see. Okay. So he's in, like, full-on knight attire. And it looks like he has a sword. In most pictures, he is sworded. Um, and what's the university's tiger? Clemson. C-L-E-M-S-O-N. Oh, that tiger does not look fierce at all. It does it not. It kind of looks like Tigger. <laughs> but are you going to kill Tigger? 
man. I mean, it really looks like fluffy and not dangerous compared to this knight. Um, I don't want to give it to the knight. Like, I really don't. But that tiger is just not showing up. Like, in one of these pictures, it's holding a book. (laughs) Come on. Um, So I'm going to say the Scarlet Knight. Okay, last one of the first round. This is a fun one. I don't think we've ever had this either. New mascot. I think a new mascot. Cougar, not new, versus Viking. Ooh. I want to look it up. Um, uh, Cle- cool. Cleveland State is the school. Cleveland, the ancestral home of the Viking. <laughs> um, wow, you should really look up this mascot if you haven't. Oh, I am. There's a lot of facial hair going on here. And it's, um, and it's, the, univer- it's the University of Houston, if you want. They're, uh, they're a cougar. But what's the cougar? Wow. I mean... And where are they most likely to play? Uh, Houston, Texas. Mm. You know I mean, Vikings are northern. They are known for their seafaring capacity. Um, but, Houston, but Houston is very, very close to the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, not exactly the... Here's the funny thing. Neither thing is... Wait, are there cougars in... There might be cougars in Texas. There are. Um, Not really in that part of Texas, but in other parts of Texas. I'm looking at this article saying Vikings hunted themselves off of Greenland. I was trying to figure out if they would like actually be good hunters, because I think of them as good seafarers. But um, I'm going to say reluctant Viking. Reluctant Viking. Okay, so now we're into the second round, so that means everything is won at least once. Pretty much everything is won once. Um so you pick the Spartan, yeah, you pick the Spartan over the Mountaineer, right? Or you, yeah, you pick the Spartan. So Spartan versus Tiger. Okay. Uh, let me look up the Spartan again. Uh, Norfolk State Spartan. Versus Tiger? Yeah. Hmm. It's, is this crazy to say, but I the first human-looking mascot where the person is distinctly not like white oh you should look up you should look up the missouri mascot because this might change your reaction to it it also might have theoretically changed your first round but i'm not going back (laughs) okay um missouri what missouri mascot you can just search missouri mascot in google images and you'll see it oh boy that's like even dumber tigger (laughs) like oh my gosh yeah i definitely feel like the spartans are gonna win this one Blue Jay versus Cavalier. Remember, Cavalier has kind of like a three musketeer sword. Yeah, um, Cavalier. Trojan versus Eagle. Let me look it up. It's the USC Trojans and the Eastern Washington Eagle. Oh. Oh, West Coast. Um, Oh, Eastern Washington's hmm? Washington's Eagle is more fearsome. The mascot is actually more aggressive than some of them. But but, but it's still And the Trojan is, like, not wearing a shirt in any picture. It's, like, not a great move for battle. Oh, no, sometimes he's wearing, like, a breastplate of armor. Um, Okay, I'll... I guess Trojan. Got it. Ram versus Hawkeye, and Hawkeye, remember, that's the... It's basically a hawk. Okay. Um, hmm. Huh. I mean, I don't really know much about how rams fight other than the obvious. 
Um, but they wait. Let me look up the fur of a ram. <laughs> I don't even know if it's called fur. Oh yeah, they're like almost sheep-like. I'm gonna say ram because I feel like they have a thick skin to get through for a hawk. Okay, a mountaineer versus wolf. Oh, sad. Um, but if it's a single wolf, they're all yeah. They're, they're all actually. Do you, when I okay, so I've been thinking a mountaineer is like basically a climber. But when you think of it, are you thinking of like a mountain man? Yeah, with weapons. I I, I mean maybe like mediocre weapons. I think I think like, look I would yeah. So this is Mount St. Mary's is the mountaineer. If you're looking for that one, okay. Oh oh. Um. So he has like no sleeves, a coonskin cap, um, plaid, <laughs> like lumberjackish. Um, I feel like unarmed, he would not do well against a wolf. So I'll say wolf. Okay. This one, well, actually, I don't know if they lived in the same part of the United States, but it could be historical. Seminole, so the Native Americans from Florida versus Buffalo. Oh, Seminole. Yeah, it seems right. Uh, another one that probably happens in real life, Cougar versus Longhorn. Oh, weird. Um, yeah, I guess Cougar probably I mean, the steer couldn't do a whole heck of a lot. That makes sense to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Crimson Tide versus uh-huh. Husky. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm going to look it up. Our Huskies, good swimmers. <laughs> no, I'm just looking at pictures of dogs swimming. Um. Pure Huskies are not swimmers. They're not good swimmers. They're really bad swimmers. Uh, Crimson Tide, then. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Okay, uh, Tar Heel, we've talked about this before, versus Hawk. Tell me again who the Tar Heel is. Civil War fighter, probably has a black powder rifle. Oh, yeah. Versus Hawk. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tar Heel. Wildcat versus Boilermaker. Oh. Does a Boilermaker, I feel like we've had this conversation before, does he have any, like, accoutrements? So this is Purdue's mascot. Oh, he has like a like a hammer. Yeah, I think that that's a, that. Yeah, he has. Or and yeah, it's. I don't can't tell whether that's. Yeah, it's, it looks like a hammer, maybe with like a little bit of an axe handle on the other side. Maybe. And and a what again? Versus a wildcat. Mm, boiler maker. Boiler maker. Aggie. So that's the one that was that bull we saw before Utah State. Yeah. Versus your friend the Colgate Raider. <laughs> The big smile mascot who's all gray. Weirdly, should be white, like bright white, like with teeth. Um, oh boy, I'm gonna say the Colgate guy, Raider. Was yeah. that it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Buckeye versus Gator. Ooh, nice one. Well, if it's poisonous, but can it really poison a Gator? I guess it here's could. the thing. Like whenever you think really about it, what is the Gator gonna do? To the Buckeye. Fair enough. Other than eat it, right? I mean, but Which eat is it. Not great. Yeah, you can define it however you want. Do what you want. Um, Buckeye. God, is is a poisonous plant really the super team and mascot battle? Is have have we unleashed a monster that needs to be stopped? Maybe. Um, wolf versus dragon. Oh wow, that one's fun. Um, you know that animal in the Neverending Story? I feel like it's kind of a wolf dragon, a treu. 
Um, anyway, <laughs> let's see. Um, oh boy! By the record, I mean, by in the your way, mind the- is a dragon. Oh no, you're you're right. Oh yeah, was I think was a tree with a guy and Falcor was the dog thing. I don't know. I'm I can't remember. It. Oh, I don't know how to spell Atreyu. <laughs> um, um, I don't know. You tell me. So Atreyu was the warrior, and I'm looking it up. Oh. And yeah, what's that animal thing? Falcor. Falcor. Yeah. Okay. That'd be a good mascot, FYI. Um, uh, in your mind, is the dragon real? Yes. Okay. I think it's. As, I, I think it's as real as the wolf is. I mean, you're making it. Okay. Real. Yeah, dragon. Then. Oh, you're not going to like this one. Your your pal, the Liberty Flame versus a beaver. Uh-huh. <gasps> no. Beaver barbecue. Liberty Flame. Aztec versus Mountaineer. Oh, this is a real life one, huh? Eh, um, I mean, technically it's a West Virginia Mountaineer, so whether those Mountaineers made it all the way to... Okay. So you can argue True. it either way in that respect, but it is fair to say that the four bearers of each probably did. And, like, where would they likely be? Probably in the Mountaineers area? Yes, they're the they're the better seat. So I feel like the home turf advantage situation is going to be really big for an Aztec and a Mountaineer. Um, so, so, yeah, probably so, in West Virginia. Yeah, Mountaineer. Scarlet Knight, we looked that up before, versus Viking. Oh, no, Knight versus Viking. I feel like some historian listening to this is going to have a very clear answer that's going to be better than mine. Where are they likely to play? Uh, in the great state of New Jersey. Oh, boy. So that is water. northern, that is northern, and it is near water. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like a Viking just seems more nimble to me than a knight. So, Viking. Viking. Okay. Into the, into the Sweet 16. Spartan, this is the Norfolk State Spartan, versus a Cavalier, the one with the three musketeer sword. Um, let me look up the Spartan again. Norfolk State. Okay. Oh, right. Um, versus the Cavalier. Virginia Cavalier, if you want to look it up. Yeah, I will. Hmm. Yeah, he does sometimes have a sword. He also looks very smarmy. Um, but, I agree with you. Um, Okay, I think that I just really don't want that Cavalier to win. He looks like a bad guy. Um, and like, yeah, Musketeers are just, I don't know. I don't think, well, whatever. I don't want to say anything offensive to Musketeers. <laughs> um, I don't know why, but um, I'm going to stick the Spartan. Got it. Ram versus Trojan. Oh, wow. Fun. Um, where would they likely play? Um, Southern California. Home Uh-oh. turf to neither. <laughs> um, I'm just going to look up where Rams live. Yeah, not great habitat in Southern California. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are mountains in Southern California, but not that kind of mountain, I don't think. Not in L.A. <laughs> I mean, there are mountains on the edge, but not that part of L.A. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. Okay. I mean, if they were in a hilly area at all, I think the Ram would do quite well. But, I mean... I'm going to pick Ram. Okay. I mean, what? That's fair. I yeah. mean, where USC is is in kind of more, like, central LA, but you can do whatever you want. I know. I've been to their campus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wolf versus Seminole. Okay. Uh, 
Let me look up the Seminole again. Let me I'm look them both up. This seems important. Sure. Um, a Florida State mascot versus St. Bonaventure mascot. Okay. Okay. And Bonaventure? B-O-N-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E. Ooh. Um, Seminole. Seminole. Cougar versus Crimson Tide. Oh, God. Crimson Tide. Tar Heel versus Boiler Maker. Um, so basically, if we're choosing, it, yeah, if we're doing weapons, black powder rifle versus that hammer thing. Hammer. <laughs> this feels easy. Okay, the juggernaut. The the juggernaut. So you pick the Tar Heel, or do you pick the Boiler Maker? Tar Heel. Tar Heel. Um, your friend, the Colgate Raider, versus yeah. the new juggernaut of the Buckeye. Oh, um, the Colgate Raider doesn't have weapons, does he? But I think he could, like, make his way around cutting down a tree, probably. Well, does yeah. he have absolutely no Well, so that's no interesting. Weapon? In, the, in the, the Colgate symbol, he has a flame, which is actually a better thing against, <laughs> against a Buckeye. Yes. <laughs> it's a very good thing. I was like, oh, he doesn't have a sword. Well, and I'm like, has- wait, that's a flame. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, that's the that's the way you get the buckeye burn the tree. So yeah, uh, Colgate. Congratulations, Colgate! You beat the unbeatable. <laughs> oh, and incidentally, who who they might have faced in the next round would have had another solution. Okay, you get to choose what again with the Liberty Flame. You get to choose what you want there, but it's facing Fireball. a dragon. Fireball versus dragon. Fun. Um, I mean, I feel like when I think of a dragon, it like breathes fire it could probably walk through fire it would use fire to its advantage um although what are you going to do to a fireball stomp it out a uh, dragon okay last one in this round west virginia mountaineer against the viking oh viking okay we're gonna get some fun ones now okay we're down to eight teams the norfolk state spartan you've looked it up recently versus yeah. the ram versus what a ram oh ooh. where would they play it would be uh, it would be in Virginia. I can see where in Virginia it's VCU. Um, where's VCU? It's in Richmond, Virginia. Oh, um, oh, this one feels hard, but I think Spartan. Well, yeah, they definitely have a sword. Yeah, I feel like they get it. Seminole versus Crimson Tide. Ooh. Um, I feel like the Seminole is going to know why the tide is red and, like, take proper precautions rather than, like, a cougar or a husky. Um, so Seminole. Tar Heel versus Colgate Raider. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, let's see. I mean, Tar Heel. (laughs) (laughs) Better weapon. I don't think the Tar Heel's ever done anywhere near that well. Yeah, I mean, it just so happens they've gone against people with worse weapons. It's an interesting split. Yeah. Okay, dragon versus Viking. Oh, wow, that one's fun. Um, I would say there probably are some, like, real legends about that. Um, I'm now looking that up. Yeah, please do. Um, oh, there are a bunch of legends. Because it's pulling up, like, current video game stuff. Mythical Viking dragons. Oh, it's because the Vikings carved dragon heads in their longships. That's right. Oh. Um, ancient dragons in North mythology. Oh, this could seems like it could go a long way. <laughs> yeah, tell me more. Um, 
The yeah, so they were um, dragons were mentioned in the High Middle Ages in both Iceland and Denmark. Um, there were lots of the poems, so like twelfth century stuff. Um, wow! By most well known is the oh god, I'm not gonna be able to pronounce this. It's Nidog in modern Norwegian. That's probably closer. Um, they they're beasts, trickster god Loki, sea serpent. Oh yeah, because they they use dragons that lived in the sea as well. Um, oh yeah. Oh, and interestingly, yeah, interestingly, like, so this one, um, I think it's Fafnir, was the basis for Smaug in the uh, the Hobbit. Okay. Um, I feel like the Viking seems to believe that they have like tamed or in some way controlled dragons. I'm I'm broadly I on board. I'm broadly on board with that. I mean, eh, okay. What did they? Powerful, unpredictable, and evil creatures is what they were in North myth in in North in their mythology. Um, no one. That's could, what they thought of dragons. No one could. No one could ever neglect its prowess and unexplained abilities. Oh. Um, wow, there are some super cool pictures of sea dragons out there. Aren't there? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why is sea dragon not one of these? It should be its own category of dragon. I really oh, and this is getting into dragon. getting into Ragnarok and stuff too. Oh, that's a whole Norse. That's a whole Norse thing. I feel like okay. The more I look at the dragons, the more I'm excited about that. So, um, dragon, dragon. Final four. Okay. Norfolk State, the Spartan, against the Florida State Seminole. Oh. I will say, four of the three of the final four are human-based mascots, which is exceedingly rare. Yeah, exceedingly, exceedingly rare. Um, where are they likely to play? Um, the final four. So Florida is the better seed. So I think that's fair. They're in Tallahassee. So they're in the panhandle of Florida. Okay. Um, I feel like the Seminole would have the, the advantage there. So Seminole. Okay. Tar Heel versus Dragon. Oh, wow. Um, well, Dragon. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't, that one. Does. The Tar Heel had a shockingly great run. Really, really good. Yeah. Final matchup, Dragon versus Seminole. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, now let's look up their dragon legends. Oh, in Native American mythology? Yeah. Ooh, interesting. Uh-huh. Native American dragon legends. There, There is... Um, it seems like there are... There's a yeah. sea serpent, um, um, Umhuluk, in Oregon... Impaled. <laughs> no, this gets dark. One story accounts for how Amalek impaled three, uh, two of three children on its horns and took them into the enchanted waters. Oops. And they remained with the snake. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it looks like they are. Um, there's a horned serpent that's relatively common in Native American mythology, and it's associated with all kinds of weather events. Um, I'm going to say dragon. Congratulations to the Drexel Dragons, who might be a real force if they can. So they're Celeste. They're a 16 seed. They're one of the like lowest teams in the NCAA tournament. Um, <laughs> but I mean, first of all, it's mascot bracket. But like smaller schools, if you want to do well in mascot bracket, pick something cool. Yeah, and like think plural, think weather events, think ball of flame. <laughs> but I guess, but I guess you know this mascot bracket also told us that some of the oldest warriors can also do quite well for themselves. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. This was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much. Okay, take care. Bye. Thanks again to my sister for taking the time to come on. It is always a pleasure to do the mascot bracket, and I'll keep tabs on on how it looks this year. This is such a spectacularly uncertain tournament, so I think that it will be, be fun to track it compared to some of the other things that are going on. And if I remember, I will include notes on that in future episodes of Real Jam Radio, probably in this part after after everything else. Also, of course, thanks again to Sam Vecini for taking the time. Read him at The Athletic, listen to the Game Theory Podcast, follow him at Sam underscore Vecini. And if you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe and download every episode. That is a particularly useful thing for Real Jam Radio because it will never come out a specific day of the week. You can't get into a habit with it. So if you subscribe, it'll just pop into your podcast player, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever, when it when it's ready. And I think that's a really good way to do it. It's what I do for all my favorite podcasts. And you can also help other people find the show. That could be word of mouth. That could be sharing something on social media that, that you like it or a specific specific episode or in general. Also, it could be leaving a review, leaving a rating in the podcast player of your choosing. That helps other people find the show. It's important to the algorithms and everything else like that. So really do appreciate that. I also, as you would expect, considering how close we are to the trade deadline, have a ton of other irons in the fire, whether that is written work at The Athletic, a bunch of different things recently, including collaborative piece with John Hollinger and Josh Robbins on the magic, which Sam and I talked about a little bit. The collaborative piece with Seth and Sam on the trade board, the PJ Tucker reaction, and I have a bunch of solo stuff, including the Spencer Dinwiddie uh, piece that Sam and I talked about a little bit. That is in the offing as well. Some is published, some is not. And then of course, rapid reactions to every deal that actually happens. So this is a great time for those of you who subscribe to The Athletic, not only because of my work, but because of everybody else that is doing such excellent work there. Also, dunked on still going strong five times a week just did the massive mock trade deadline which is so much fun with Kevin Pelton, Dan Feldman, and of course, Nate and I, that was that was a really great exercise. And um, part of that was public, but then a part of it was on Dunknot Prime as well. And we'll be doing tons of trade deadline stuff as it comes in. And also the NBA cast, that is our live broadcast of a game through League Pass, which is so exciting. You can watch the game and listen to Nate and I on commentary. That is every single Monday. So you can make a habit of that. You can't do it with Real GM Radio, but you can do it with with the NBA cast. And we always tweet out the schedule. We might get better about having a more permanent resource there, but sometimes it's going to be that things change, especially in this unusual year. So hopefully you can keep tabs on that as we move forward. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. That could be, hey, I like this. Hey, I didn't like this. You should have this person on. And that is always something that I consider. I consider this a show that is for for you, the listeners. And so it's, and, and a lot of times that's a great way to find new guests and everything like that. And I'm working on a few things and we'll see what ends up bearing fruit. That's the way this always works. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Mm-hmm.